Opus, an exploration of legendary records and their ongoing legacy. Not just the history, but how this music continues to evolve, shaping lives, shaking rafters, and ingraining itself into our culture. We're opening the vault on a recent classic records re-release, delving into its inner workings and lasting impact. Maybe you're a longtime fan who wants to go deeper. Maybe you're a first-time listener and you're curious to hear more. Either way, you're in the right place. Find us at Consequence of Sound, iTunes, or wherever you tune into podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from Consequence of Sound that, believe it or not, is not just a podcast about it. <laughs> we spent the last uh, eight episodes talking about Stephen King's masterwork in so many ways, uh, and last week we capped it all off with an interview with the director of the miniseries, Tommy Lee Wallace. Great interview. Uh, he talked to us for about 90 minutes, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's cool. And he talks a lot about Halloween 3 as well, which uh, we're all big fans of. We are big fans. We, we had a really nice crossover episode with the Halloweenies. Yeah, it worked out well. So uh, thank you guys for listening to that. And today we're back with an episode of something we haven't done in a while, which is what we like to call needful tweets. We're going to talk about some tweets. We're going to talk about some news, Hollywood King, as we like to call it. And we're going to talk a little bit about Stephen King's new novella, Elevation. Elevation. And uh, before we get started, Mike, did you want to plug the Consequence Podcast Network latest podcast? Yes, we're very excited. It's a collaboration with Sony. It's called The Opus. And uh, the first season is going to be revolving around Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks. And uh, host Paula Mejia has a lot of guests that are going to be uh, talking about this particular album for four episodes before moving on to Jimi Hendrix Electric Ladyland. Ooh, we're we'll some kind of way out of here. <laughs> there is. Will she be talking to Stephen King? She won't be talking to Stephen King, unfortunately. Still trying to figure out our way in. With but him. <laughs> it would almost make sense because uh, Stephen King likes a little bit of that rock and roll. He does like rock and roll. And uh, I feel like we're going to talk about a little rock and roll a little bit later. But um, yeah, so please subscribe on iTunes to The Opus. It's a very exciting uh, podcast venture and one that, despite being involved with Sony, has nothing to do with The Dark Tower. Mm-mm. So. So that's probably a good thing. Um, but yeah, Very let's, good thing. Yeah, so let's go around and say who we are. My name is Rockin' Randall Colburn, and uh, whoever's sitting across from me, please say who you are, and uh, let's just say maybe a good movie, good book, good something that you've enjoyed lately. Well, this is Michael Trashmouth Rothman, since the two uh, little uh, detractors here are right there in front of me. Uh, <clears throat> Editor-in-chief. Two of many. Uh, two of many. <laughs> mm-hmm. You might want to even call me a Crazy Torrance over here. Uh I am uh, editor-in-chief and president of Consequence of Sound and uh, also run the little gears around for uh, Consequence Podcast Network. And lately, it's been so hectic and wild that I haven't been able to really read anything other than the book that we're going to be talking to today. 
so I won't recommend that, but I did get to catch uh, two great films last night. Uh, Let's hear about them. The Old Man, the Gun with uh, Robert Redford and bang, bang. Castle Rock star Sissy Spacek ah. uh, and, um, and, and noted good guy Casey Affleck. Um, and uh, that was a you know really, really fun movie. A uh, great uh, throwback film by David Lowry, who I really want to take on a King property very soon. Mm-hmm. And also a movie that you uh, you really liked, yeah. Randall. I reviewed for the site. First Reformed. Starring, oh, I, uh, actually, well, I, I thought you were going to say Cam, but I also reviewed First Reform for the site, I, and I and I loved it, and that's in my top three for sure yeah, right now. But I'm not the only one who watched Cam this weekend, and I and I like that too. So yeah, uh, we all watched Cam recently. Yeah. But uh, who is sitting next to me, and what did you think of Cam? And maybe what else did you watch, Randall? We sure did watch Cam. Hi, I'm 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 Joyland Justin Gerber. <laughs> that's a reference for later on in this episode. Also, really enjoyed Cam. I think I made the joke that. Finally, I saw a good Blumhouse horror movie this over the last four weeks. Oh yeah, that's that um, is actually true though. That was a Halloween slam. <laughs> I um, also, of course, watched uh, Yorgos Lanthimos' Dogtooth, as many yeah, people his first do film. Sunday morning. Well, one of his first films. Yeah, one of his first films. Yeah. Very disturbing movie. Have you? Uh, th- that is nothing to do with uh, Mandy, though, right? <laughs> Who, who directed Mandy? It's a totally different person. Oh, okay. This is the director of The Lobster. and Oh, they have... Yeah. Uh, Who's the guy that, that directed Mandy then? I can't remember his name, oh, but... Okay. Yeah, I, I can't know. remember his name, but I don't think he's Greek. I, I have know, seen Dogtooth, and... Uh, is that the one where the kid, Ooh. like, uh, shoves his head into the... I don't know. Whatever. No spoilers. Okay. okay. Well, anyway. It's possible. I, I don't know what you were going for with shoving head in something. But, um... Unfortunately, I also saw a film called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Which Oof. he didn't like. I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan. This is one of maybe four movies of theirs I don't like. Wow. So very disappointing. What are the other three? Man Who Wasn't There, which Randall likes a lot. I like that one too. Hudsucker Proxy. I like 25 minutes. And Intolerable Cruelty. It's kind of just, I can't believe I like that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny. I think it's a lark. It's a lark. Yeah. It's a fart. It's good if you, it's good if you approach it sort of like the Coen brothers, uh, not trying to do anything important. Here's a question I want to ask just really quick about the Coen brothers. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, George Clooney, a positive or negative effect on the Coen Brothers' career? Uh, positive, I'd positive. say. I think he's good in, in everything he does. To, he's great yeah. in um, oh, uh, Hell Caesar. Yeah. I think you've got a take that uh, we'll save for our Coen Brothers podcast yeah. or our Clooney podcast. Yeah. We're going to start all of them. Uh, my Clooney name, Pod. Clooney Pod. Yeah, Cloon Pod. Um, Paging Dr. Clooney. <laughs> That one's like that bad. One. That's the that's the winner. That's the uh, my name is Rockin' Randall Colburn, and I watched a lot of the things that you guys just said. But I want to actually plug a movie. I'm trying to sell these guys on it too. Andrew Bajalski's latest movie. It's called Support the Girls. Not a horror movie per se, uh, but it is about working in a restaurant, which hey can be a little bit horrific. Am I right? I think so. And uh, it's it's a it's a comedy, but it's very very heartfelt, and it's very much a movie sort of about like it's sort of a of an ode to the middle managers of middle America. Uh, Wikipedia says he's the godfather of mumblecore. He is. Yeah, I I was very much into his mumble mumblecore uh, output. Uh, back in the day, but he's moved on from that for them. I mean, he still kind of embraces that sort of, uh, uh, you know, a bit formless structure, but I think he handles it very well. well he did. He did a movie that Justin and I really loved uh, called uh, Results. Oh, yeah. Let's not oh, talk Results. About it. Yeah. Results. <laughs> you will great. not believe what you will not believe what his next movie is. What? You you would never guess it. Is it? Um, 
is it an adaptation of um, Elevation by Stephen King? No, it is an adaptation. <laughs> okay, what is oh, it? Tell it's me. the live action Lady and the Tramp. No shit. Oh my god, and really? David Lowry, who did The Old Man and the Gun, is he, returning to Disney to do Peter Pan. So, interesting. Yeah, he's also uh, doing Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which is like one David of the Lowry. oldest texts that like exists. Can't wait. That'll be fun. It's I know it's very bizarre. I would I, I would rather he do a Stephen King property, but what do you I mean? really would like him to do a Stephen King book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and I also just started reading a book called Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff, which is being adapted into an HBO series with Jordan Peele at the helm, mm. and it is awesome mm. so far. I'm do like I hear the Twilight it. Zone. Uh, no, it's not nothing to do with Twilight uh, or Twilight Zone. Speaking of Twilight, I did a retrospective, did a retrospective review on the site, yeah. which you should oh, go read, yeah, uh, which was very interesting because I'd never engaged with the Twilight universe before. Why? Because I was too busy reading Stephen King, his not just his books, but his tweets as well. It's time for tweets. He's not a human being. No! Don't you see what he's done? Please kill them all. Let God sort them out. It's time for tweets indeed, and we've missed many of them, and we're probably going to ignore a lot of them because uh, I don't know if you knew, but earlier this month there was a thing called Election Day, Mm. and uh, all those tweets that are tied to Election Day, with the exception of one perhaps, are going to be ignored. Well, let's just say that... You know, it took about two years to realize that maybe reading all of Stephen King's tweets aren't the best idea because, you know, he's a great writer. He's maybe not the best tweeter. So uh, we're going to limit it to five standout tweets. That's what we're going to do from here on out. Yeah, we've, uh, we've we've got some good narratives. It's that true. We've picked out and this way we can dig deeper into the, the good tweets. Because the thing about King's Twitter feed is that we get a good window into him. Yeah. You know, we, we get to see what's going on in his life and... Uh, what do we get for the most part you from say King's Twitter? It's a secret window. I would say it's a very secret window. I think we get Molly a thing of evil, which I is love good. It. Love we love get politics, photos. which is exhausting, mm-hmm. and we get uh, book recommendations, which is usually good. Mm-hmm. I would say uh, not to you know get too far into uh, elevation right now, but I having read this book, I felt as as if like I knew it was gonna. <laughs> Mike I, just I kind dropped of, the book. Off the I desk. did just drop the book off the desk. <laughs> no gravity um, there. I mean, all gravity. There is there. no gravity. Yeah, there was actually a lot, but. Uh, the one thing I will say is that reading his book now, like his new works, in the context of following his Twitter feed like every day, I can see how he like picks up some of the everyday minutia and now welds it into his own sure. story. Yeah, so yeah, sure, something sure. I'll go yeah. into. But uh, let's go back to September 21st. And this is interesting because he tweeted, I'd love to see the first season of Breaking Bad compressed and released to movie theaters. Now, I titled this as King Predicts the Future. Why, why would I say that? Because uh, just recently it was uh, revealed that they're making a Breaking Bad movie. It's yep. going to be a sequel to the series that's going to follow Jesse Pinkman. No spoilers. Uh, no. Wait. No. That's uh, wait. That's eh, not too much of a spoiler. No. It's, it's news. It's out. It's, it's news. news. It's been around. It's, it's news. It's five years past since Breaking Bad uh, closed its doors. Um, it's meth lab doors. Uh, on AMC. Yes. Yeah. So they are, the movie is already filming, like literally it began this month. Mm-hmm. So, and we're not sure. It's it's kind of, you know, I think AMC's in this strategy where they're like, none of our new shows, despite them having some good shows like The Terror and, and, um, and, and Fire. A, wait, which one? Halt, Halt and Catch, Catch Fire. Fire. And what did you what, call that one again? Oh, uh, Hot Geniuses. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and then, um, what was the, wait, what's the, there's a show that everybody's talking about, like Lodge 49. Yes. Everybody's talking about that show. I really want to see this I want to see that. You know, yeah. I want to watch it because it's got a uh, baby Kurt Russell in it. Oh, it's Wyatt Russell. Yeah. In it? Mm-hmm. Nice. It's be great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that, uh, it's, it's, it's exciting 
Sort of. I mean, I'll, I'll say that AMC, though, I think is starting to get a little desperate because yes. they're like, we we're not getting the numbers that we need. And so we're going to kind of go back. And a lot of people are doing this. I actually just write about how MTV is like almost desperately going back to all the things that made the money mm-hmm. They're like they're rebooting the real world and they're doing it on Facebook watch and they're like re- bringing back spring break. And I'm not even making that up. No, but every uh, network is doing this because even Nickelodeon's trying to get back into that whole nostalgic. Yeah. Right now, and so it's like it's it's a we're just watching people scramble. And so I would say that uh, I think that we all had a lot of fun, as you all know, if you listen to this podcast and no offense to people who love The Walking Dead, but I think everyone on this podcast hates the show. I hate it. Yeah. Uh, Dan yeah. was the one who gave it the most chance, but we hate The Walking Dead. What but do you, what we, do you think in our text threads? Do we do you think we have more photos of Negan in our text threads or photos of Gotti or Alf? Or Alf. I'd say I think Negan, because Negan, Negan, yeah. Negan got the head start on our Alf yeah. threads. Yeah. yeah, Negan, we we send a lot of Negan gifts and photos because we think he is the stupidest character uh, maybe ever made. Well, some say stupid, some <laughs> say the most badass. <laughs> well, I think that it's 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 this straining of badassery, this, uh, this sort of like juvenile idea of what is badass is what we find kind of amusing. Do you think that playing Negan has affected Jeffrey Dean Morgan in real life? Well, yeah, because he called Arnie Hammer a, a real ass or something like that. You seem like really fun at a party, bro, or something like that. I'll make you pee-pee your poo-poo pants. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you just love to see like kind of like a live feed for like an hour in his house and see what he how he talks to things? He probably just says, come here, darling, a lot to uh, Hillary Burton. <laughs> but uh, so the revelation that they were going to be, well, they they did the whole, I mean, they've been, they've been doing all these like horrible network tricks that mm-hmm. nobody's been using for 15, 20 years, which yeah. is like this whole like, uh, they keep teasing that something's going to happen uh, somebody's going to die and then they don't but then they kill them like three episodes later um which only worked with probably charlie on lost spoiler alert and uh but i think that it was like the whole thing they did it with glenn which was so stupid and then they did it like they're doing cliffhangers and they're making you wonder whether major characters die That's the like, glenn thing is the, the is ultimately what kicked me off it show. broke it broke a lot of people mm-hmm. and then uh and then now they were like oh rick's leaving the show and it was basically i don't know we should have known that they were just gonna you know bullshit us some more so and is up, he really leaving the show it seems as if like you know because we now find out that they're going to be doing three feature films yeah. that are revolving around rick so it's the rick trilogy it just it, it's so weird because it's like it, it's interesting that you say it's like this whole sort of retro um fitted way of running a network at this point because it reminds me of like when the X-Files had really reached its peak in the 90s and they're like all right we got to do some feature films to keep these stars like glued yeah. and on yeah. here because they were going to go off and do their own things and it, it almost feels like Andrew Lincoln who clearly hasn't done anything else other than The Walking Dead no. over the past few years best was, decade like that's it and so it's like maybe he demanded that like he wanted to do feature films instead of being stuck in this show that should have ended like maybe five years ago. Well, from what I read, it's like, it's, I, I bailed on the show seven years ago, but I still feel like I'm totally in on it in terms of its <laughs> We talk about it a lot. <laughs> well, he his family is still in the UK. Which is crazy. And so he works in Atlanta nine months out of the year. So I guess you'd be cutting down significantly if you're just going to shoot. I'm assuming, are they going to do these three movies back to back or what's um, going to happen here? I have no idea. Who knows? I mean, I think, I, I just think it's such a stupid idea because A, People, I mean, the numbers don't lie. Like, people don't watch The Walking Dead anymore. Like, I mean, I, a lot of people do. I mean, they but do, but Comparatively, yeah. the numbers go down and down and down with every season. The only people who give it good reviews or say it's worth anything anymore are blogs that are desperate for quotes or, uh, you know, the major entertainment rags that clearly have some kind of, um, pat, you know, like backscratching deal going on uh, where it's like, well, you know, we'll, we'll keep reviewing the show and giving it decent oh, reviews. Oh, by the way, I need to come by later on and pick up 
having a copy of Entertainment Weekly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do anyway. want to say something uh, to their to their credit, though, is I do think AMC is trying to bring back the idea of the event television moment, mm-hmm. which you is know, a cool idea. I think we've entered into the lifestyle now where most people, no matter how great a show is, will just DVR it and they'll watch either later that night or they'll mm-hmm. watch it the next day. But if you're going to have a Breaking Bad sequel, everybody's going to be clamoring to see it that night at yes. 8 p.m. 7 Central. Which yeah. is why they're still debating whether or not this is actually going to make it into theaters or on their network. Which I, I think, think it's, it's going to be a, a network thing. I have no idea. I can't imagine it's going to theaters. Yeah, I agree. I Whereas the, same thing with the Breaking Bad thing, I'm not sure. Like, Well, do you think the Breaking Bad thing will definitely be on, I, on the I, network? I'm 100% certain it's a TV See, thing. I would say about the Walking Dead ones, the, the Breaking Bad one to me feels like that's something that people are clamoring for a lot more. And they might be able to make more money if they put it in theaters. But I, but I mean, I think I think maybe with their strategy, though, they would probably want to put it on the network because I think they may be trying to blaze a new trail. Here. You know, you know, it's funny. I've been running a music site for eleven years now, and I eleven to twelve years, twelve years this January, and I always thought that the day where I didn't want to listen to anything else but like my favorite bands or favorite musicians or whatever was going to be when I realized I'm getting old. Yeah. And ow, uh, and now <laughs> and now I think what what's actually happening is that there's this consensus and I've seen it with especially with covering Halloween is that people just it's like this reddit culture where people just want to know everything yeah. about anything. And worst. I think that's where I'm starting to actually feel old now because I don't. No. Like for example, like, you know, I don't even give a shit if we spoil this cuz if you haven't seen Breaking Bad then don't listen to this part. <laughs> but when Jesse drives away with a car, that's all I need to know about his story. I don't well, yeah. want to know anything else that happens to him. What I, do, I mean, 100% agree. Like, uh, that of, of the end, and everybody thinks like the in these real quote unquote you know, like badass going back to Negan when that gun comes out of the trunk and blows everybody away which is, away, the which cutest is just thing, uh, well, what I think takes me away. But the, I just, just want to say yeah. that of all the strategies they could take, I, I would much rather prefer them tell a story that has not been told I as agree. opposed to a prequel. At least I, they're doing that. At least yeah. they're not doing some prequel. Yeah, but they, it is all still up in the yeah. end. Yeah. So I'm glad that it's a sequel. I'm a little. I think that there is a little more juice left in in Jesse's story. I was fine with it ending the way it did, but I do think that he sort of. It, he got he spent the last season basically getting punished yeah. yeah and then he gets out in the end and that's good but i actually would love to see him sort of adjust um after that especially like now that walt is uh dead although this is so funny i was on a i i made a joke on on twitter because somebody was just like some music or uh film site posted something like hey is uh they're making this jesse movie is brian cranston in he definitely is like he's interested and so i said i made that royal ten of moms joke like um, so everybody knows Walt died at the end of Breaking Bad, but what this film presupposes well, is maybe, maybe he didn't. didn't, you know? And <laughs> yeah. it's like, cause it's just like, no, no, don't make it about Walt again. He's dead. 100. And then some, and then some, some guy on Twitter just started being like, where's the proof? Where's the proof? You don't see him die. Oh, I, just, I, I, I have a question to both of you. If this, if this quote unquote Jesse Pinkman movie opens with Walt on the ground and he goes, <gasps> I will. What will you do? I will turn like it he's off. He's not actually dead. I will turn it off. I'll I will turn, turn it off, off too. No, it's, I, I to think the more, point, the more likely thing is going to happen is going to be like the the Dexter Dark Passenger thing, where he's going to be like sitting there being like, "No, oh, do you remember how to do that?" Like he'll be like that. almost oh like this God. ghost it, thing. Oh Jesus! What if it's just um, <laughs> hold on. What if it's what, oh God? What's his name? Um, James what if it's Remar. Just James Rebhorn. No, James, James Remar. Remar. Yeah, but he's wearing like the Walter White glasses. <laughs> like Cranston would not come back. So it's James Remar with the glasses and the mustache. And, and the bald head. But he's still doing the delivery from Dexter. And it's just like, Jesse, you can't do that. Uh, Jesse, this is a bad idea. I mean, you know what I'd <laughs> like love to see? The yellow hazmat suit. The yellow hazmat suit. I'd love to see it be, and I'd love them to change genre too. Like, I mean, this is bold, but it's like, I mean, this is a weird example. It's just the one that's popping into my head. But I mean, look at the difference between, 
You guys are going to laugh because I'm, I'm bringing up Rob Zombie and we love to trash on yeah, Rob, yeah. but we also do like some of his movies. But like the difference between House of a Thousand Corpses, which is straight horror, and then mm-hmm. um, uh, Devil's, Devil's Rejects. Rejects, which is like road thriller. And so um, I love that difference. Like I kind of mm-hmm. love that they switch up the genre so much. I mean, it's still brutal in a lot of the same ways, but I will say that it would be really cool if they go from doing this like action drug drama show to making it like, well, no, no, no. To <laughs> Science <making> it, fiction. <laughs> to making it sort of maybe like a recovery drama, like why? Watching him sort of like readjust to life and uh, and try to find out what his place is in the world and just let it be sort of a human character based drama instead of throwing the cartel in there or whatever like they're you know they're going to like I just really hope that it could just be a really character focused thing where you know we maybe watch him grow it's like the final chapter of um, of um, what do you call it Uh, Clockwork Orange the Mm, well in the book not the not the movie. I prefer the ending of the movie, but there is that uh, that chapter at the end of Clockwork Orange where uh, you know you kind of see uh, Alex, um, you know, growing out of that life, which a lot of people think negates the whole point of the book. But I'll just say that it, I think it's similar in the idea of watching Jesse sort of after all these years reemerge into a world where he's very unfamiliar with mm-hmm. sort of how to function as a normal person. That to me is really interesting. But the problem with that is that it's not Breaking Bad. So... Yeah, but I mean, but it has the name, and all they need is the name. True. It's like it's like the it's the property and the IP. Um, that is what's valuable. And I would just hope, I mean, this is the problem with Halloween, right? Like they had the opportunity to tell an interesting story, to do something new, to really trailblaze sort of like, like, you know, we don't just need to make another slasher again. We can use the IP to tell a new story and pivot into a new genre and do new things with the characters, just like Fargo does, just like Hannibal does, mm-hmm. just like, um, what's the other example I Alf. always go to? Alf, no. <laughs> uh, but you know you know what I mean, though. Like, you can use, the, what we're learning in this age of IP and nostalgia is that you can take old properties and tell new stories in new genres with new characters, or even old characters. I, I do want to say, I, I was, or Twin Peaks was another yeah, one, you know. I was joking, but the, the TV series Alf was two camera. But the TV movie from years later, Project Alf, was single camera. No, and no audience. Get the fuck out of here with Alf. So I'm saying, you know, you you're, a different I know you're trolling a different right now. <laughs> Randall, I absolutely agree with you, which is why I love the next subject that we're going to be talking yeah, about. Yeah, we should move on. King Loves Hill House. <laughs> on October 16th, King tweeted, The Haunting of Hill House, revised and remodeled by Mike Flanagan. I don't usually care for this kind of revisionism, but this is great. Close to a work of genius, really. I think Shirley Jackson would approve, but who knows for sure. And then on November 3rd, Joe Hill tweeted, Through the genius of at Flanagan Film and at Mir Schmier, among others, you can already Netflix and Hill with Haunting of Hill House, an astonishing leap for the genre and one of the very, very best shows of the century and so fucking scary. And King says... He retweeted that and said what Joe said. So they're clearly huge fans. And why not? As I wrote in my review for uh, Hill House, it is very um, spiritually um, devoted to like King's like oeuvre of like work. Like, yeah. And it's specifically it. Like I, I absolutely saw a lot of the themes and sort of dynamics that it has, which is, you know, it, the, with the whole reunion. The yeah, I'm five episodes and, in. Okay. I, I do want to say I, I've been quite frightened by a lot of it so yeah, far. But what's really, what really struck me is it's just how sad it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, in, I'm amazed that people have been able to binge watch this. I think it's such a heavy show. It's yeah. hard for me to watch episodes back to back. And, and the only reason I'm behind is because of that. I feel like I have to be in a certain mood to watch the show. I think. See, yeah. for me, it was more about like it, because there's such a mystery that they're, they're unspooling with the family, which 
absolutely has a lot to do with like kind of like what Shirley Jackson was trying to kind of tease with the book, but doesn't really absolutely go into it. It's more of just like the actual specific characters are in the foreground i i just got more obsessed with like oh my god i gotta know what what what, what happened to this family or like what, what what more but i agree with you it is a very like heavy watch and there are some episodes in that entire season um which i guess we'll call it a season because they're gonna be doing more i, I imagine um that really do like re- they warrant just some time to to, mm-hmm. to 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 you know to stick with them a little bit. I what, what, like what did you think about it? Randy? Oh, I, I I loved it overall. It's I think it's great. I think it's a great achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of I think it's another example of using IP exactly and yeah. uh, and telling a new story in an interesting way. I I I struggle with. I'm a huge Flanagan fan for the most part, but I struggle with him as a writer. I I like him when he um when he adapts like i thought gerald's game was incredible because he really hewed close to the source material and i think that with this he was telling a whole new story using that ip the i i i like i, I love flanagan's direction i think he's incredible the some of the horror set pieces many that you've seen already because i think some of the strongest ones yeah. are in episodes four and five um and was five the single shot episode or is that six, no, six, six. okay that's an incredible great episode, episode. and uh, that's I, one that feels really like it i will say that like without spoiling anything it was a show that, for me, took off on episode three and began dwindling on episode eight. Uh, mm. Once things started coming together in the end, uh, I started losing interest a little. And Flanagan is very, very, very fond of long, drawn-out monologues. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is he is a bit too – and this is my problem with um, – I always forget it. The Jacob Tremblay movie that almost didn't get released. Before I sleep. Before I wake, before I sleep. That movie is so sentimental. It's so saccharine that really undercuts the horror. And that is my problem with with the end of... Hill House, it's still definitely worth watching. And there's a little bit of bad robotism going on. Oh, totally. Um, which I think is a phrase that w- we're pioneering on this podcast, mm-hmm. which is this that sense of, which is we had the issue with Castle Rock as well, which is that idea of um, mysteries uh, remaining uh, frustratingly mysterious in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't need definitive answers, but there is a way to do ambiguity. And Such there as is, Jesse Pinkman driving away at the end of Breaking Bad. Exactly. Yeah, but there's a way to do ambiguity. If there's a way of um, maybe flooding your your narrative with mysteries that get very metaphysical, non-articulated answers um, that are then left way too open to interpretation yeah. instead of, you know, maybe narrowly open to interpretation. Uh, so uh, overall, though, I really loved it. And I definitely see the King influence. I mean, obviously, Flanagan is a true King head. If you mm-hmm. listen to our interview on this very podcast with him around the time of Gerald's game, he definitely is a big King head. Uh, and I'm happy he's doing Dr. Sleep, even though I don't like the book. Uh, I think he could make something really compelling out of it. He's just he's a fantastic director and he gets great performances out of his actors. Hill House has a really, really strong ensemble, I think, aside from it took me like three episodes to to differentiate between like all the women because the, yeah. they literally all look very similar. Yeah, so. I, you know, our uh, our pal uh, Brian Tellerico from Roger Ebert, who's also a fellow Kinghead who should be on this podcast soon. He likened it to like a this is us. Uh, very like with the, the whole family drama Yikes. ensemble <laughs> thing. I don't like this is us, but I can see where he's coming from because it like what's your point? There is a lot of sentimentality into this. Yeah, and, and by the end, I think that's, too much. That's where a lot of people start getting detracted from it. I think he earns it, but for me, yeah, I, it's one of my favorite things I've seen this year. Um, up there with uh, uh, assassination of 
Gianni Versace. So uh, that's a I, weird, weird thing to bring up right there. I, I love that. Uh, I love that series. So I liked just, it. I didn't finish it, but I'm, I'm just putting all of my favorite TV stuff up there because okay. we're starting to get towards the year end, and uh, it's true. To uh, those, my list. those lists got to start coming together. Yeah. Um, What's the story with uh, Stephen King and Joe Hill's Strange Weather? Well, on October 21st, <laughs> King tweeted. Congratulations to Joe Hill, who just won the British Fantasy Award for Best Collection, Strange Weather. That's my boy, and I couldn't be more proud or happy. Who's read Strange Weather? Still haven't. I'm not yet. Four novellas? It's never on sale, and I'm a cheap bastard. Well, we can't comment on that, but we can comment on the next one. (laughs) On November 1st. Wait, I have a bit I want to do before we move on. Okay, go for it. You, I would just love this this tweet if Stephen was like, "Congratulations to my son who just won the British Fantasy Award for Best Collection Strange Weather." I've won it three times, but <laughs> this is his this is his but, first, and he's got he's got time to catch up. But I'm not betting you will. It's like, so. <laughs> congrats, you're 33 percent of the way there. Yeah, it's like you'll never be me, Joe. You'll never be me. Um, one thing that we did like, I don't know if we'd say love, but we liked uh, on November first. King tweeted, don't miss Overlord, coming November 9th. I've seen it, and it's as good and as scary fun as the early Spielberg. Whoa. Jesus Christ, King. That's that a, that's is, a he's talking a, about like Sugarland Express or something? Or? <laughs> yeah. He's pre-Jaws Spielberg. Um, I wouldn't agree with that, uh, but I did have fun watching it. I liked Overlord. I liked it. Yeah. I didn't love it. It's. I think it's good. Um, You're saying it's not as good as Close Accounts of Third Kind? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's 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 like a video game. Like yeah. I actually saw. I said that after we watched it, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, our mutual friend Sammy agreed. Uh, it, it's very much like a. It feels like a first person shooter in a lot yeah. of ways. It feels like it's very indebted to. It feels like to games like um, you know, obviously any zombie shooter, but even Doom. like Fallout, Doom, and uh, and then also. <laughs> That's all I know. <laughs> but like, Doom. You know, yeah, like, you, you don't even play. What was, was the it? last video game you played? Oh, probably NFL Blitz '99 or something. <laughs> We're getting close to 20 years. But like, you know, it's like, it reminds me a lot of like Dead Space, Left 4 Dead, um, yes. things like that. These Lots fr- of FMV sequences, it seems. Yeah. Almost, yeah. And like, and which I kind of dug. I mean, I feel like we're at a point now where video games, because they're so cinematic these days, really are going to be a huge influence on movies. Mm-hmm. Um, right, I, right. I wish that, and I liked, I will say that I also like the ensemble. There was really an effort to build an ensemble yeah. in, in Overlord that reminded me of a lot of older action movies. Um, but and then the the and on and out like in a way though I can see when he says Spielberg I don't think of like genre Spielberg I think no. of Saving Private Ryan yeah because like there were so many Saving Private Ryan references Absolutely. in that movie which was weird so I don't know Overlord recommended um, not for me a top tier not top level movie of the year but definitely a lot of fun I think what would have really sent it over the edge is uh, is over the if baby Kurt Russell would have actually become more like uh, his daddy yeah like it was just Wyatt Russell I'm, I'm intrigued by him as a performer and I didn't realize that he was Kurt Russell someone I was watching it and I wanted to say to, to Mike afterwards I was just like I was like oh he's got kind of a Kurt Russell thing going on and he's like oh that's his son and you can definitely see that but the, there was a humorlessness to his mm-hmm. role which yeah. is weird because everything else I've seen him in there's definitely like a kind of laid back oh, humorous I wanted vibe more of him. that yeah he was playing such a serious character in this movie that if he had cracked a few one liners and had a little bit more fun I think I would have liked the movie a lot more he was he was for me a fairly static lead um, he doesn't come into his own until like the last five minutes yeah yeah whereas mm-hmm. the other characters in the ensemble I, I I attracted to a little bit more but but yeah you know but hey he's young he's got a whole career ahead of better him. luck next time Wyatt <laughs> 
I wouldn't call it amazing because, uh, according to King, oh. amazing is not a word that you should be throwing oh. around. Uh, back in October, King tweeted, Note to writers, amazing is very tired. Amazing needs a long vacation. Therefore, please don't write about your amazing party, your amazing girlfriend's amazing dress, or your amazing vacation. Something more pungent and specific, please. <laughs> well, the table's turned. Because on <laughs> November 12th, he tweeted, Just when you think the zombie genre has been squeezed dry, along comes a perfectly amazing film hey, by Dominic Rocher called The Night eats the world it will blow your mind and then immediately right after he tweeted shit in writing about the night eats the world i use the world i use the word amazing my bad go ahead troll me i deserve it and uh you know needless to say his his fans trolled him but his fans are very nice you know they they, they tend to be um complimentary of him and yeah. some of them are like haha i have tr- a tremendous cinnamon for you by the way your tweets uh, help me get through the daily real life horror show thank you we all fall short <laughs> bud most of the time you are amazing like trolling god no good could ever come of it all right so so oh, it's boy. a lot of like people are like oh thank you so much you know and, like trump reply guys yeah, yeah yeah so i i think um sorry that was me <laughs> there weren't a lot of trolling there you know so my life for you tweets what, I, I have a question oh. for the two. I know. That would be a great transition, but I'm going to go ahead and destroy that transition. <laughs> I have a question if you do. What word would you get rid of in not just literature, but even in journalism? What word? I can tell you my word I would get rid of. Oh, I, I know a verb that I would get rid of. What do you got? Fucks with. Oh, God. When people say, like, I, I fucks with it. that. I oh, hate it. I, I just got goosebumps thinking about it. It's my I fuck l- with, fuck with. Uh, it's the worst. <laughs> I, I, the I dropped one of those yesterday, didn't I? Uh. <laughs> I fuck with it. Um, for me, it would be, I, and, um, it would be describing um, a strong female lead as badass. Yeah. Yeah. Can we find another synonym now? I feel like that is just such like the, the most base description of a strong female lead now. I feel, I feel like it's, uh, I don't know. Well, that's a it's, good... It's, it's, it's uh, denigrating at this well, point. Well, I think it's a good point because at this in this era in which we're seeing so many strong like female roles... Yeah. They keep, compared they keep to, like, resorting 10, to the, the same adjective. Yes. It's so annoying. It's just like... You know, and then and you always hear the comparisons like, uh, this is not your average uh, Ellen Ripley or, you know, your Sarah Connor is if there's only two characters. I know. It's like, yeah. it's like we got to move on from that, you know? Exactly. It's like, yeah. So I would say that for me, and this is more in personal essays and things that are like, you know, and criticism, anything that's that's got an I, I or me going on is the phrase that don't get me wrong. Uh, it's such yeah. a lazy way. And I've done it. Obviously, I think we all have. It's it's. When you're when you know you're telling your argument, and then you make a claim that may be a bit sweeping, and then you have to uh, leaven it a little bit in the next paragraph by saying, "Now, like you know, <laughs> there's exceptions. To commit to it. No, I mean it's not even. It's like there are ways to sort of add the nuance without always beginning it with "Don't get me wrong." And yeah. it's this kind of, and it feels to be a little bit like as the reader sometimes I'm like, I'm not getting you wrong. Yeah. I'm reading this. Like, yeah. don't don't yell at me. Don't tell me to do something. My bottom line, I think that badass deserves. To be you know, attributed to such badass characters as Negan from The Walking Dead, I feel like that's fine. If you want to keep referring to him as a real badass, that's that's it's pretty cool. You know? Or trash, trash man. <laughs> speaking oh, of speaking trash. trash, oh yeah, that was a great great transition, oh, Mike. Hey, uh, so on November fifteenth, uh, Stephen King had a little fun uh, politically. This is going to be the only Trump tweet. It's not really a Trump tweet. It's just uh, it's, it's something that we had. It's part of his pol- political tweets that i felt that we had to mention it's it's as a couple florida boys we should mention it and if brewer is involved i'm involved love Frewer. uh real quick favorite for performance uh um trashy (sighs) okay oh it has to be the lawnmower man to job's war (laughs) job's war (laughs) slash beyond cyberspace as it was released domestically i'm gonna go with uh honey i shrunk the kids oh yeah he's great love him in that on november 15th king tweeted 
Matt Frewer, trash can man in the 1994 version of The Stand, and Rick Scott have never been in the same place. Coincidence? I think not. And then he posted photos of both Rick Scott, uh, who does look like a trash can man, and uh, Matt Furrer as the trash can man. Well, here's hoping a nuke blows up Rick Scott. Oh, that would be really crazy. Yeah, I don't want to get too political, but I mean, if you, <laughs> if you know, if you know Rick Scott's <laughs> political views and you agree with them, then you know what's the word I'm looking for here. Uh, You're not a badass. I'll put it that way. Uh, no, good. Uh, we're all out our beliefs. I can't but wait until we get an, uh, another negative review on iTunes. I know we, says, we just earned. Just, a, they wanted just, to nuke Rick Scott. <laughs> we just earned another. They just one had to star bring there. up the wonderful Rick Scott, one of our favorite political. <laughs> oh, anyway. So let's just say uh, I, I love this take. I love I love that King is coming back to Frewer. Still remembers him fondly. I'm a huge Matt Frewer fan. And uh, I'm a huge Stephen King fan. So. I'm a huge Max fan Hedrum, of, of course. I got to say, th- th- this, these conversations make me so happy because it reminds me of how much I love just being with friends. But if you're not with friends and you are alone, uh, King actually recommended a nice little Thanksgiving option for you. Uh, he tweeted, when you nuke a hungry man dinner, you got to take the brownie out first. I always eat it while I wait for the rest to cook. The brownie is the best part. So remember that if uh, you find yourself alone on Thanksgiving this year and... Uh, Resort to a hungry man dinner. What about when you take nuke, the brownie out? What do you about when you nuke Rick Scott? <laughs> Just specifically Rick Scott. Where, where would you? Legal? Where would you? A joke about politicians being. Uh, I think. I think it's all in jest. Even though if it did come to that, I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't really uh, cry. <laughs> Boy, if you look editing all this out. Oh, we're not going to. The most this important this thing. The most important thing that I would like to say is that I can't remember the last time I cooked anything. I have to anything. recently because I'm uh, resorting to groceries. Uh, mm. Resorting. Resorting. It's <laughs> like the first world problems over it's here. the first I, world oh, problems. God, I have to go buy groceries. I have a very small kitchen and uh, I am very limited to what dishes I can actually cook. And for the most part, I always find groceries to be um, a waste of money for me because I'm very rarely at home. Mm. So when I do find myself... Now having to to go with groceries, I'm, I I don't really know what to cook, so I just get like a lot of bread and peanut butter and jelly. Um, you know what's funny? I, I'm not, I'm just picturing listeners like God after th- after three months of it and Castle Rock, <laughs> we're, they're finally talking about eating at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, well, you, hey. guys, you guys know me. I'm an ultimate master chef. You are. You really are. I'm, I'm, I love to cook, and uh, I will say that. Um, that it wasn't it was it's only because my wife because uh it it was only a few years ago that i was i was a peanut butter boy myself and i will say when my wife goes out of town and i want to treat myself i literally buy peanut butter and bread yeah like because it's my favorite it's all all i ate when i was young. i have the seinfeld diet where i I like cereal a lot so cereal is you know you love cooking so much why don't you ever cook for us uh, We've been over a thousand times. You've never actually prepared anything for us. Because <laughs> uh, he, he he acts like a big superstar now, as if you're from uh, Hollywood or something like that. It's true. It's true. Um, oh, I, I, it's, it, I, I, that was a good transition, it but was. I had a good gonna, one, we, too. Then, then you go with yours, then. But here's the thing. My transition doesn't work because my transition is into elevation. Oh, oh yeah. But, so but I, save it, then. Let me just say, though, I, I'm such a good cook that I should be hired at Holy for Holy. <laughs> that's the name of the restaurant that's in Elevation right. in Elevation I thought we were pausing okay. for a weird transition that is, that, that is true <laughs> but you know what if it was, if it was you, somewhere else it would, it would be called Holy for Holy it would be called Hollywood for Holy <laughs> that was good that combined them that combined bad. all of them it's, yeah. you know, it's been a while um, hashtag stain since we've gone to Holly, Holly, oh Hollywood for Holy Hollywood for Holy <laughs> we're going to Hollywood King <laughs> There's 
There's a town on the coast of Del Sol. Always find my way there. There's a place that the calls to my soul. Always find my way there. People there are forever young. Forever young. Beep beep. We are flying down the highway to Hollywood to talk about the latest in Stephen King. Uh, film, TV adaptations, and we haven't done this in a while, so there's a bit to discuss here. Um, the first of which being a trailer that dropped back on October 10th. This is how long we've been doing it, guys. And uh, it was the first trailer for Dennis Widmeyer and Kevin Kolsch's reimagining of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, which well, I think we're looking forward to, but we're also a little bit scared because we want it to be good. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we're also fans of Mary Lambert's version. We are. In fact, uh, that's one of my favorite Stephen King adaptations. So this is going to be really, you know, it's a high bar. So how do we feel about the trailer? The kids kind of creep me out in the wrong ways. It's a little strange. I like the idea of it being sort of, um, you know, there's a lot of full core elements that they're leaning into that weren't there in the original movie, I'd say. And I kind of like the idea that maybe there is this, um, I don't know, that the fascination and the obsession with... Um, you know, the burial grounds have maybe bled into, I don't know, maybe sort of a tribalistic aspect amongst mm-hmm. the children who are into the myth of it, like yeah. the mythology of it, and that it may be, but, it, but I worry, I think, and even at, while I'm saying that, I'm like, eh, it just kind of seems like a, an excuse to get some creepy kids in there. I, my, my take on this trailer is I, I think, I wouldn't be surprised if the only time we actually see these kids in the movie is when they're first going out to the pet cemetery in the beginning, where I'm sure Judd will just tell them, oh, look who's... Here, these kids are going to the pet cemetery, and then maybe some nightmares later on. Yeah. Like, I don't think they're going to be an actual. I do not believe there'll be a physical presence. I'm almost as confident in this as I am 100 percent confident that the Jesse Pinkman movie will be on AMC and not in theaters. <laughs> okay, um, that's a, to bring it to type back. Together. But overall, though, I mean, I, I I like the look of it to a degree. Um, yeah. I think that I mean, I'm I'm mostly optimistic just because it seems like. Uh, and then I I did the, there was this whole Entertainment Weekly. Um, set visit and they talked about some of the differences that were happening and it just sort of seemed more like logistical things uh the way that judd gets introduced is a little bit different oh really yeah and yeah basically he instead of coming over and greeting um uh lewis he basically meets he like stumbles upon ellie first oh the pet cemetery and she's a little freaked out by him at first but then he kind of like is like oh and he explains everything to her and then they stumble upon so uh basically judd develops a relationship with ellie first before he does lewis which is an is interesting and it also kind of makes sense because a lot of these houses are very disparate. Yeah. You know, when you go out into the countryside, like, you know, Justin, when we went to Matt's house, yeah. Matt Mellis, our editorial director for Consequence of Sound, he lives over in like Butler, Pennsylvania, which is actually where they shot Night of Living Dead. And next door neighbor there is a stretch, to say the least, because you literally have to go like, I don't know, 300 yards, 400 yards to even more to get to the next person's lot. Mm-hmm. And it seems as if, you know, if you are shooting these stories in the kind of, rural areas of a main small town it wouldn't necessarily make sense for a neighbor to just come over immediately you yeah. know and so maybe that that could be like a cool little you know transition there for me the the things i do love about this is i i think the cast is going to be great yeah i think jason clark is a, is a is a really solid option uh amy simons awesome amy simons is going to be great and i think john lithgow has that sort of grisly weathered 
uh, apprehension. They talked about his performance a lot in the piece. He, they're playing him as a much more lonely figure. Mm -hmm. There's a folksiness to to Judd in um, a good folksiness um, because I've I've expressed my distaste for King folksiness in the past, but Judd is different, and I and maybe that's because it's inescapable from Fred Gwynn's performance. But I, I think that. Uh, they're kind of playing it that his his wife is already passed by mm-hmm. the beginning of the film and he is very because in the book obviously she's alive and that he's very lonely and withdrawn because of it so whereas he's very much actively seeking out Lewis uh, to hang out with him in the book I think that he's going to be a little bit more of a recluse that mm-hmm. maybe Lewis seeks out more who knows I don't know I so, said from the beginning I don't really have any issues with them doing another adaptation because you know for me I think Carrie is just an excellent movie if yeah. you spread in the book. So that's why I had problems with the other adaptation that came out a couple of years ago, which I have not seen, but apparently garbage. 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 Yeah, it's bad. I still think there's a great Pet Cemetery movie out there. And honestly, I mean, the pedigree behind this is just stronger than the 89 version. If you look at it from top from cast and crew. Well, judging from this trailer, it doesn't look like uh, um, my favorite uh, version, the comedic, um, somewhat darkly <laughs> comic uh, Victor Pascal is going to be in this. I don't no, like, he is in it. No, no, I know, but I think but he's going to be comic. more of a darker oh, element. Yeah. Which is fine by me. Which is fine. <laughs> so he looks There'll like be no he's... Avis rent-a-car bits like, oh, I'll, I'll have what she's having. <laughs> I'll have what um, she's having. <laughs> no, um, I, I think I also, I just recently saw... Starry Eyes for the yeah. first time. And the aesthetic of that movie is definitely, no pun intended, bled into this film as well. And I, mm-hmm. I do like the gray overtones here, the kind of muted colors mm-hmm. here. And the the climax, no spoilers, of Starry Eyes is very, very much in the dark. Yeah. Um, just kind of like dimly lit apartments and whatnot. And I really hope that they adhere to that yeah. for this Pet Cemetery film. Because the thing is, I mean, that I, I do still love the ending of the Pet Cemetery movie, and mm-hmm. I love it in a lot of ways, but I mean, it is pretty brightly lit. It <laughs> is. Nobody's in the shadows. But that's also that kind of what I love about it. Like, one of the scariest moments for me in the whole movie is just the idea that life, regular life, is still passing by. Like, you see those, the way that he uses, the, or the way that King in the book, and then also Mary Lambert uses in the movie of the trucks that keep passing by, those truck drivers have no idea of the horror that's happening. Oh. And yet it's happening literally right there on the side of the road. So I always... I always laugh in, in, in this kind of darkly comical way that when Lewis is holding, you know, the dead bodies and then there's like the fucking house is on fire and everything else is going on and you still see trucks just driving by. And I always wonder, like, what, what is in the truck driver's head? Do they have been like, oh, that's something crazy's happening there. Yeah. And so I, but there's something really darkly and I keep saying darkly, but really grim and realistic about that, that I hope is like that because the isolation can work if you really kind of you know warrant that sort of claustrophobic presence um which they do in starry eyes because mm. as that movie goes on it felt it feels like the hallways get slower you know get slimmer and slimmer and there's just like you're just getting strangled with this sort of claustrophobic tension and if they can nail that for this which i think they will is gonna be great yeah and i don't think starry eyes is by any means some classic horror film no but no, i mean no. i think it's a good starting point for anybody's career and if i'm them i'm like running and screaming in the other direction from the quote-unquote like iconic moments of that first movie. Like I agree. I'm not going to try to top the Zelda sequences. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to top, I don't know, some some other, like the Pascal thing. I'm sure they're going to go screaming in the other direction oh, there sure. too. Just try to bring something new to it that has not been seen in the 89 version and do your own best adaptation. Here's my question to you then on that note. Mm-hmm. How would you handle, spoiler alert, everything involving Gage? 
That is be tough. Yeah, because all they I really is, lucked out with Miko Hughes. Yeah, I mean, well, the they kid really they cast out. looks just like Baby Miko. He does. I was losing my mind. Uh, I will say that I have no idea how they'll how they'll do that, and I don't even know if I want to think about it because it's so disturbing and distressing. Yeah, <laughs> so. I am almost certain that as opposed to going with the kind of like throwing puppets around like they do in the eighty nine cemetery or the like little mannequins around, you know, I'm sure they're gonna have to rely on some CGI. But going back to Honey of Hill House. I usually abhor CGI and horror, but if you keep it again, if you keep it kind of in the shadows or in the uh-huh. dark, it's much more bearable to me. Yeah. It's yeah. much more acceptable. So, speaking of uh, going do in the other direction, we were commenting on the way that John Lithgow delivers sometimes dead is better, which is we know that line as Fred Gwynn says it, and we are almost like, like, well, John Lithgow just says it. Like, there's nothing to it. But I almost feel like that's the thing was. Uh, he was desperately probably trying not to evoke yeah, uh, Fred, Gwynn. Fred Gwynn's performance there. He's not he's not leaning into the accent and he's not uh, trying to make that line maybe more like make it feel as portentous, perhaps like he's just sort of he just says it. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, honestly, other than here's Johnny, like which isn't even I don't even think in I don't think it's not in the original novel. It, I can't think of any more iconic King lines yeah. from the movie than that one. Yeah. Um, and it seems almost like be a nice summation for all of King's works in, in, in some respect. But yeah, I mean, for me, the I was pretty happy with the trailer of where we're what we're getting. And this looks like it's going to be a, just a, a really visceral like horror experience, which is what that novel is. Yeah, um, it has to be grim. Yeah, That's what I've been saying, too. Yeah, well, Star Eyes is pretty grim. I, yeah, and I, I agree. Yeah. And what what makes me really hopeful about Star Eyes is that Star Eyes to a winsome lose some degree uh handles this more cerebral terror that's beyond our realm and that's something that makes me wonder if they do the wendigo yeah i think they could actually do it justice i think i think we're gonna get the wendigo i hope right so. i think the fact that it. they're leaning into the full core so much uh in the trailer yeah with I like think the symbology and everything it. like yeah. there's like stuff on the trees mm-hmm. yeah i i really hope so i don't know how you play it uh if you don't show it you know because in the book they don't necessarily no. show it it's always just hinted at with like certain uh sounds and and, and um well it's like the the behind. fact that there's things of immense size mm-hmm. that like exist uh once he kind of goes beyond the brush you know so i'm freaky. i'm i know mel is is agrees in this that that's like the most anticipated thing for me in this story is if they actually do yeah. the wendigo um so i and i hope that we don't see any of it in the trailer and that it's just strictly in the film that'd be nice yeah. uh because we're gonna get another one i mean that's not going to happen, though. We're going to see this thing. If, if it's in the movie, we're, it's going to be blown. They'll probably say, like, here's an exclusive five-minute scene of Pet Cemetery <laughs> a week before it comes out. I and think, then we'll have to watch it to talk about in the episode. I think Church looks great. Church looks good. I love that fo- that photo that they released. But here's the thing again is that – that and that's my one of my biggest criticisms is because some of the photos came out ahead of time of the – ahead of the, the preview. Mm-hmm. And I had to set up the post and everything. And Church was one of the photos. And – yeah, church looks good. It looks scary. But at the same time, what I love about the church from the 1989 version is that it still looks like a cat that I would see walking home or something like that. And yeah, I think this is post-dead church, though. Yeah, but even post-dead church in the in the, in Lambert's version still looks just like a regular cat. Yeah, but the, you know? I think he's described as being a bit mangier yeah. like once he comes back. Well, I just hope that the cat doesn't, you know, get up and start talking and everything. So. Uh, <laughs> all contraire. Yeah. One last thing that I'll say that I, I remember reading in the Entertainment Weekly story is their approach to Zelda. Um, they 
they explicitly mentioned that, you know, the way that it was filmed in the 89 version was having an older man play Zelda. Mm -hmm. And here they're like, they cast a child. Mm -hmm. So a it's child. really a creepy kid. Yeah. And that's how. Yeah. But I mean, like it is in the book, you know, she's supposed to be what she's like 13 or something in the book. So I'm curious how that'll work. But I mean, I can't imagine it being better. So in the, in the Lambert version, are we supposed to assume that the Zelda that she sees in her head is an adult? I always thought it was grown a teenager. Up. It looked like an older teen. Yeah. That's like early 20s. Yeah. But I, I always wondered if it was some if it was a demon that had been growing with her. For, for all that time. I don't I mean, know if I ever talked about that in the pod. That's but it, spooky, but I mean, it's never explicitly pointed in that direction. That would just be something to... What, what are you talking about, a demon? Like, as if, you know, maybe the the, the Zelda... Because the Zelda still looks pretty old. It yeah. almost looks like she's kind of similar, like, you know, on the level of, like, uh, Rachel's age at that time. Because in the movie, she's in her 30s at that point. So it, Zelda almost looks like an older... Like, she doesn't look like a child in the movie. No. Um, and I always wondered if that if like the the presence that 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 haunting of her had aged with zelda over the years and which is why like when we see her with rachel as an adult zelda has adult qualities as if she's you know aged with rachel this whole time as if like that grief and that terror has aged with her or something like that but maybe oh. that's looking way too into it yeah I'm not um sure. speaking of the old one uh the original uh, Mary Lambert uh, just went hit up uh, her own uh, Instagram account and said that she's working with Paramount to create an HDR version of the original Pet Cemetery. It looks uh oh amazing, which is what uh, King the King's no no word. But she showed a <laughs> clip of uh, an Achilles tendon being cut, and I think we know who's Achilles tendon that belongs to <laughs> John Lithgow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm excited for that. We're gonna probably have a really cool uh, new expansive uh, edition of Pet Cemetery that'll be on Blu-ray. Yeah, because uh, the 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 DVD itself is kind of bare bones. So. You know, I wonder, because she mentioned on our when we interviewed her last year that uh, there was a lot... Was it earlier this year or last year? It was this year. Good God, it feels like yeah. it was 10 years ago. Where she said that there was a lot cut out that kind of had to maybe do with the Wendigo in terms of just a lot more soundscape. You remember that? She said yeah. there was a lot more footage in the woods. I wonder if that might be some... I would love it. If, scenes, bits. I would, it would be great as if... I, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of director's cuts, but I do like to see how they are presented sometimes. Uh, it would be great if we got some sort of expansive version of it. Yeah. And if it's something minor like that that doesn't affect, you know, the rest of the movie, like, uh, I don't know, like Darth Vader showing up or something. <laughs> yeah, Darth Vader comes out of the woods. His red, his red lightsaber. His red lightsaber and just starts, he's like, wait a second. He's, you know, he's going to be on Alderaan soon. Um, uh, speaking of Darth Vader, let's move on to our next piece of news, which is about another one of Darth Vader's colleagues, Dr. Sleep. Oh, yeah. That's it's confirmed uh, by the way. Great transition. Yeah. Good transition. King and Lucas yeah. confirmed that. Mm. Yeah. It's going to be uh, in The Mandalorian. <laughs> uh, interesting casting news, and this is actually a pretty major one. Dr. Sleep, quite the cast shaping up. We've got Ewan McGregor. Uh, Bruce uh, the, Greenwood. Bruce Greenwood? Yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, and then who's the woman from um, Rebecca Ferguson? Mm -hmm. And then I guess who's playing Wendy Torrance, the lead from Starry Eyes. Mm, oh, yes. nice! An actress, so yeah. And then who uh, looks a lot like um, Shelley Duvall? Shelley Duvall, yeah. And then also the back in the nineteen eighty Shelley Duvall, the Native American actor from Westworld and Fargo. He's very good. Yes, so, he is. So I, I can't remember his name right now, but he's very good. And then, uh, but they also just got an Oscar nominated actor in Jacob Tremblay, little mm -hmm. boy, little he was, boy. Was, was, he wasn't nominated for that. Yeah, he was nominated for Room. Yeah, was he? Yeah, mm -hmm. hundred percent. Didn't win though. 
No. He's no Anna Paquin. Yeah, and so he was so he's been cast uh Bloody Disgusting reports that he's been cast in Doctor Sleep. We don't know who he's playing yet, but maybe a young Danny in flashbacks. So I think it's got to be young Danny. Maybe young Jack. I don't know though. Jacob Tremblay is probably <laughs> getting a little bit older now. I mean like I feel like like you know, he was probably Film. I don't know. Like you guys saw Predator. I keep calling it Predator. The Wait, Predator. no, it was Predator. I no, called he it was. Predator. Yeah, the I Predator. called it Alien earlier. Yes, but uh, the Predator he was in, and and then I saw the movie that he did with. They actually, because he's worked with Mike Flanagan before. He was in the Before I Wake, Before I Sleep, whatever that movie's called. Um, he's the lead in that, and you know he was. I mean, he's like was like getting a little bit older then. Yes, so. but it's, I think it's going to be after what happens at the Overlook where we're going to see him, and maybe. But he was six after the Overlook. Yeah, and I think that I think we're probably going to see him maybe in his teen years, like being haunted as you know younger Danny. He's going to reach that awkward teenage. I could have like sworn Jonathan they already Lipnicki. cast a young Danny though. I don't think they did, no. No. Nobody's speculating that this is he's playing Danny though, I thought. Anyway. No, Bloody Disgusting is that's what they they go they go, maybe he'll be playing a young Danny Torrance in flashbacks. Well if they do that, then they've got to be leaning heavy on the flashbacks as opposed to the book. Because the book, he's only in the like, the first what, ten pages Randall, mm-hmm. yeah. young Danny. Yeah. Well, one thing that's really interesting and something that uh kind of uh, uh, vindicates me is that uh, the film will acknowledge Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, which is all I originally actually yes, said. I, I swear I to God, I, I, to be... I mentioned this like a year ago. That I was the one that was like, it's absolutely going to adhere to the movie. But no, yes, that the... we both did. And then Randall and Mel were the ones that were saying, no, it's not. It's going to be more of a sequel to the book. But the thing is, it all hinges on one thing. Is whether for... or not Dick Holleran is alive yeah, so at Dick the Holleran, beginning. I understand of that, but... That's what the bet is. I'm saying no. The bet is the, not that. That's the what you changed the bet in. I said the marketing and everything is else. Absolutely, yes. you're, you're gonna see the. I'm, I'm telling you, you're gonna see the carpet from yes. the Overlook Hotel. You're I'm gonna see sa- all this. Stuff. I'm just saying your your version of the bet requires. There's too many uh, threads. There's too many things. Of course, it's going to incorporate it somewhat. I'm all saying, right, we this gotta, is ridiculous. We got to pinpoint the bet. We got to make it very simple. Which is that the major difference between. The book and the movie is that Dick Holleran gets killed. And well, they, no, and there's they, a lot of major differences, but also involving like the Overlook actually burning down in the book versus the movie still okay, being yeah. there. Well, then let's just say this. Because the ending of – because in Doctor Sleep, the Overlook Hotel factor is heavily in there. At least so the do site you wanna, does. Do you want to change the bet then? No, I don't, I'm not changing the bet because the bet originally for me was always that it was going to acknowledge and actually be a sequel – whether it's spiritual or not, to the movie. That's too... The thing is, of it's like, you can't just say it's a sequel and then be like, well, if it incorporates one tiny thing from the movie, then it's a sequel. You know, this is That's, like the Roger Marish uh, discussion of whether or not he actually broke Babe Ruth's record and they just put an asterisk over it. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you this right now that I my, my whole thing was that that Kubrick's The Shining was going to factor heavily into this uh, into this sequel and that this would technically be considered a, a shining sequel, sequel to, the shining. to The Shining, which is what this will be. Because yeah. he, he literally says, like Flanagan goes, when they asked him, well, Bloody Disgusting asked him, you know, or, is this going to acknowledge Kubrick's The Shining? And he goes, yeah, I think you do. Uh, I, think I thought you do the question was, that. is this going to be a sequel to Kubrick's The Shining or, or, is, is, or is this going to be a sequel to King's The Shining? And he says, yes. So both of it. Yeah. So he says that I think you do have to acknowledge that there's no version of the world where I am trying not to acknowledge one of the greatest films ever made. Yeah. There's no upside in shying away from that reality, which I guess, you know, it doesn't answer either of our bets. But at the same time, it does acknowledge the one thing, the main conceit of this bet for me was that it was absolutely going to hinge on Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Like there was not going to be a way that they but you're ever saying the word let's hinge. Have, let's hinge, have this conversation. Here's hinge the thing. is a major. That means that it's connected directly. That means yes. that for this to be a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, there needs to be two things. The hotel needs to be uh, 
uh, burned down. No, still standing. No, burned down. Well, yes, it needs Stanley to be. Stanley Kubrick's yeah. it's still standing. Yes. Yeah. And Dick Holleran is dead. If it's a sequel to the book, Dick Holleran is alive and the hotel is burned down. I'm telling you right now. I cannot imagine there is only one person that gets killed in The Shining. Yeah. And it is. And even people don't know the name Dick Holleran, they're going to say, oh, the black guy from The Shining. Yes. Am I right? So if he comes, show, if he shows up at the beginning of Doctor Sleep Alive, but the marketing has been, this is absolutely a sequel to the, the Stanley Kubrick, The Shining, isn't that just going to confuse the yes. hell out of audiences? I agree. Unless they say it, it happened, it was like a delusion of some oh, sort. God. No, no, that's oh, bullshit. Jesus, be awful. I'm saying this is the bet. The bet? All right, fine. But the if thing is, the problem it, this, is, this, this, then it's going to be a sequel to both. But I'm, but I'm saying, it's the definitive, what, the definitive answer comes with whether or not the hotel is still standing or whether or not Dick Holler is how you alive fix or that. dead. You fix this with, A, you just make him go back to the Overlook, which would be a blockbuster idea for Flanagan to do anyway, because as we saw with Ready Player One, that was the only thing anyone talked about with that movie. And then two, you make Holleran as this kind of spiritual entity. That's to, what I'm to, thinking to, they're to, going to do, to honestly. Think, which they probably will. Well, I mean, why means... would they cast someone that looks just like Shelley Duvall for these flashbacks? Well, that's what I'm like, saying. If doesn't... that's the case, then you win the bet. Because then it is a direct sequel to. I Stanley think I win the bet regardless of the. No, fact I that disagree with that hundred <laughs> percent. I said if it, if it acknowledges uh, Kubrick's version, which they are going to do, Mel Mel literally said as nothing with Kubrick's that is what she movie. said, and I like vehemently disapproved like disapproved that like saying like no it's it is like I the poster idea the IP I still is think, too strong I still think the teaser poster is going to be that that that, that, that carpet would do that. Yeah. I never denied that I'm just curious about the actual logistical events. Well, we will we'll see the logistical events and come we'll find January out and that's what the bet is and the bet stands. Okay, well. If you want to change this, tiebreaker is I win the money. If the hotel, is, no money. If the hotel <laughs> is burned down and Dick Holleran is dead, I win money. And if the if the hotel's still there and Dick Holleran's alive, I also win money. There's no that means, money. That means you both lose. That means that well, no, okay, I, no, I, no, I have to give him three to five. No, I win. You need no, I win spiritual money. Much like Dick no, Holleran's going to be a spirit. No, if in that's Sleep. the case, if that's the case, then you get to assign both Mike and I a preemptive five noser. Oh yes, this yeah. is a great idea. That's okay. the whole hint so of the bet. So, so for did example, you become like the, the, the deal maker? I'm here. the bet maker. This is, this is, I've this been is making ridiculous. the bet. This is like months old, months old bet. So Randall obviously gave Aquaman a pre a pre yeah. Aquaman's a five noser. No question. Oh, and by the way, we got a screening. I got a screening invitation for that. So you're going to have to go December seventeenth to go see Aquaman. Send it. Send me. Can't wait. Happy Merry Christmas. I'm, I'm so Wait, excited! It, I'm so excited for Aquaman, which is going to be a five noser because I I committed to that. It is a five noser. Well, we're going to find is. out. The thing is, even if it's not, it is for me. Who's the major veteran that's going to be in Aquaman? Campbell Scott? No, uh, I'm not Lundgren. Campbell Scott. Patrick Wilson. Lundgren, I hear he plays the the guitar in it. Wait, who? Oh, pa- <laughs> Patrick Wilson. I hear he plays Elvis Presley in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Anyway, for let's God move sakes. on. Uh, this is just kind of a plug because none of us watched it, but uh, Eli Roth's uh, the noted uh, history, the, the noted horror filmmaker Eli Roth. Uh, <laughs> He has a, a new series on AMC Jeez. called History of Horror that started in October 14th. Uh, Stephen King's on it. Uh, when I interviewed Bruce Campbell back in uh, February ahead of uh, the final season of Ash, Ash vs. Evil Dead, he said he got to actually finally meet Stephen King on the set of this. So they apparently brought together a lot of huge names in horror. Um, for some reason, this list of uh, A-list storytellers that I have here, it says this is great. Stephen King, Quentin Tarantino, Jordan Peele, Jason Blum, Robert England, Linda Blair, Tippi Hedren, Rob Zombie, Haley Joel Osment. What? Six Sense. Six Sense. I guess. Jack Black, which is another stretch. John Landis, John, Jamie Lee Curtis. That all makes sense. 
I think J- the Haley Jalosman and Jack Black being involved in well, this is Jack, a little bit Jack of a Jack Black was, and I still know he did last I was literally was about to make that oh, joke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when he's the, pl- the cool bartender. Yeah. <laughs> well, either way, they're exploring the biggest themes and inspirations and struggles. It's supposed to be good. I've heard a lot of people on Twitter having a lot of fun with this. So I, if, I, if you are all watching it, uh, let us know on our socials uh, w- what you think and uh, if we should kind of you know dig back into the AMC archives and um, when we're done wa- binging uh, Walking Dead and Breaking Bad, uh, if, uh, <laughs> if we should watch this. Um, or any, any other badass material? Any badass material? Uh, I, I hope Jeffrey Dean Morgan's a part of it. That's been cool. Here's some badass. here's some joyful news. Uh, Freeform will be adapting Joyland. I don't know what Freeform is. It's a network. It's a network. It's a network. Don't, oh, isn't Freeform? where they screen a lot of like Lifetime kind of movies? I think they're kind of trying to lean into teen drama fare. Okay. At this point. Okay. So, what better what better adaptation than than well, Stephen I, King's Joyland? I think I do think. <laughs> have you read Joyland? No, but oh, I know okay. it's not like a teen. Well, thing. no. I the best parts of Joyland for me, and I'm sure many of our listeners will agree, are just the bits of of the kid working at this um, amusement park. It's kind of like an Adventureland type thing. The first half. Okay. I think there's a lot you can do there. Um, the actual mystery itself and the reveal is very much in the vein of those dime store novels like The Colorado Kid and Joyland are aspiring to be. Okay. But I think there's some I think you could mine that into a into a fun ten episode series. Now I don't know if you can mine that into like a an eight year <laughs> eighty episodes, <laughs> you know. I don't well, know. Well they what got you can Chris there, Pena, but. that's a big get. Yeah, he did uh, Jane the Virgin or Well he's like uh he was in Crash. Like he was um he's like a classic actor. Yeah. He well well not just because he was in Crash Crash kind of sucks but he's in like the Ant Man movies. No, you think about no, Michael, that's Michael Pena. Michael Pena. Oh my bad. Then I don't know who Chris Pena is. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's his brother or his uncle. Well, either way, uh, it makes sense that they would be on Freeform. They they do like the Thirty One Nights of Halloween. It's it's kind of, it's a division yep. of a, like ABC and and you know Disney. So it'll probably be of the same quality of uh, you know the the Shining remake and, uh, and all that. So. <laughs> Pretty excited. Well, that was your go-to um, ABC adaptation. Yeah. Uh, it was earlier reported that Joyland was going to be a feature film uh, starring Tate Taylor or made by Tate Taylor. Made by Tate Taylor. It just says feature film Tate Taylor. Well, either way, my notes were not as uh, specific this time around. But uh, either way, Tate look forward Taylor. To that. Oh my God, Tate Taylor. I know Jake uh, Taylor directed The Help. Get on up in the girl on the train. So he's like kind of like oh. a, a big director. So yeah. he makes a lot of those movies that um, win well, a lot never of see. awards, but nobody likes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he makes a lot of problematic movies. Apparently, well, well, he'll definitely be on the pod. Um, um, <laughs> Here comes our next dollar baby, uh, the main author. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when we read a yeah. script that we have not read beforehand. Yeah. This basically Stephen King sold. <laughs> is it the main author sequel to The Good Doctor? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a it's a it's a sequel to Young Sheldon. Oh, um, man. The main author, aka Stephen King, <laughs> well, he recently sold um, some young student filmmakers from uh, the Blano Gwent the Film Blano Academy. Gwent. Uh, it's it's a English uh, film academy. They uh, bought the the short story stationary bike for a uh, dollar. So you know, and that was originally published in uh, God. They said the fifth edition of From the Borderlands in two thousand three, but it was eventually put into Just After Sunset, oh, which vaguely remember the short story. I'm a little confused though. Like, why was this such big news? Doesn't he do Dollar Babies all the time? He does. I think it's because Stephen King is so hot right now that anytime you could talk about him, anyone's going to go. Right I just ahead couldn't tell what was I, different. I, about I saw this. this getting shared on a bunch of different sites, oh. as though it had never happened before. Right. I, I thought it was. They're like Stephen King's so great. I'm like, he's been doing this for like. Like Forty years. Forty years. Like Frank Darabont was doing dollar babies. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, um, well, congratulations to them. Yeah, well, it, it's kind of very similar to Thinner. 
actually a stationary bike because well, it has to do so with like, elevation. Banana. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> he, has a, he, he likes that theme. Yeah. Uh, so then this is uh, some pretty exciting little news here. Uh, Alfonso Cuaron, uh, who directed Gravity, he's got Roma coming out, which is probably going to win all the Oscars. Yeah, probably. Uh, based on it. And he also did the third Harry Potter movie, The Prisoner of Azkaban. Which That's is my a, favorite Harry yeah, Potter movie. It's a big one. And then um, he also did Children of Men. So this is a guy who hasn't really made a bad film yet. And uh, he... Uh, adapted Stephen King 15 years before he made Prisoner of Azkaban, which was, uh, this was news to me. Yeah, I didn't My- know. Keith Phipps had uh, written this great editorial on Vulture that just kind of goes through, uh, you know, Koran's like history. And basically, he had done um, an adaptation of uh, Sometimes They Come Back or like a version of it uh, for this, this show called La, La Hora Marcada, which was kind of like a twilight zone anthology horror anthology to mexican television and they actually had like over 100 episodes that ran between 1987 and 1990 um and you basically kind of gave early shots to Perón and um emmanuel lebetsky um guillermo del toro and uh basically he did a 1989 episode it was called the vestes regresan and it's a adaptation of as i mentioned uh sometimes they come back and um, they don't mention King in the credits or anything, but it's kind of takes that sort of thematic um, storyline of like, you know, the the the, the kind of demons of the past coming back years later to haunt you. It involves like, a, you know, two brothers uh, one in, in an amusement park and it's supposed to be really great. And um, it actually, uh, as Phipps points out, like really played a key role in getting, um, you know, Koran some work. In uh, in a 2015 Los Angeles Times story, um, uh, Coron and Del Toro um, and Alejandro Inaritu, um, Inaritu yep. who uh, directed my favorite film of 2015, The Revenant, uh, they all said that they met um, the first time. He, like they met uh, was um, because of this, you know, episode that uh, Coron had done for the series, and um, you know, it's it's interesting. It's all on uh, YouTube. Uh, unfortunately, there are no subtitles, so if you don't know Spanish, uh, good luck. But uh, it's Adios. supposed to be it's supposed to be great, and you know, uh, by all accounts, it's a uh, could be maybe the uh, the ideal adaptation of the short story. Although we liked uh, the the film adaptation, yeah, I like it. Yeah. yeah, I like it. Yeah, I like it so, more than the story. I, I do agree. too. I agree I do too. Yeah. Uh, what do we think about the sequel, though? <laughs> well, you can <laughs> listen to our episode on it. It's one of our lobstrosities. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, gotta, so. We, but yeah, this is funny. This is a funny quote here. Um, when Quran, uh, wait, what was, wait, how does this go? Quran recorded the recalled the first time he met Del Toro, who asked him if he made that show inspired by the Stephen King story. When Quran said yes, they spent some time enthusing about the source material before Del Toro said, "Let me ask you something. The story was so great. So how come your show sucks so much?" <laughs> then Quran uh, beat the shit out of him. <laughs> oh, that would be funny. Yeah, though. that would be pretty funny. Um. So, oh no. Oh, yeah, you wrote Goldman in all capitals on the next page of this, and I thought it was a Kiva Goldsman. No, is no, what no. we were talking about. But no, this is a uh, this is actually a very tragic uh, our little ode to a man by the name of William Goldman. Yeah, well, you know, we I figured it'd be a good transition uh, because we talked about uh, Corona adapting a story yeah. of uh, King, and let's just say uh, William Goldman adapted many stories. Yes, he did uh, by Stephen King, which was something that was new to me. I, I was writing up an obit for him the other day. Yeah, it's very sad. I mean, one of the greatest 
screenwriters to ever mm-hmm. come to Hollywood. Guy did Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, All the President's Men, both of which he won Oscars for. Yep. But he also wrote the scripts for Marathon Man and The Princess Bride, which was based on a, a novel that he wrote. Mm-hmm. And um, what else did he do? There was well, he oh did my Misery. God, everything. I mean, he well for King specifically. Yeah, he had done Misery. Yep. He uh, he helped adapt uh, um, Hearts in Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did script doctoring for Dolores, Dolores Claiborne, Claiborne because yeah. he started working really closely with Rob Reiner after working on um, uh, The Princess Bride together. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's why Rob Reiner tapped him for Misery. And this is actually his second comeback into Hollywood because he had a huge run that went from like the 60s until the late 70s mm-hmm. when he became kind of um, disillusioned with the Hollywood uh you know, system in which he actually wrote uh, Adventures in Screenwriting, which is basically the Bible for anyone who wants to actually right. come into that shithole town. And um, and he uh, so after spending like the 80s mostly just doing novels and all, um, he came back and uh, sometimes they come back. And uh, William Goldman, he uh, he did like Princess Bride. He adapted some of his novels that he wrote in like the 80s. But Misery was was really his big um, his big comeback too in like 1990. And then Reiner really got just kept him on with like a lot of Castle Rock projects to kind of doctor a lot of stuff. And yeah, so Dolores Claiborne was in there. Um, he went on to do uh, Dreamcatcher, uh, which al- we won't mention, which we won't mention. I know that that was like sort of the uh, they were like talking about this some of his final projects, and Dreamcatcher was mentioned. I was like, Ooh. Yeah. To be fair, that there's such a great cast and crew behind it, I but know. there's only so much you can do. There really is. Oh, and that's why, that, that's why, like, in the obit that I wrote for Consequence of Sound, I was just like, well, he was tasked with trying to make sense of that book, and um, which is, you know, not an easy, uh, not an easy thing to do. Uh, but yeah, you, I mean, this is a legend in every sense of the word. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, that's, that's not hyperbole. This, this guy is a main, main, main figure in Hollywood history. And, you would just be remiss to miss like any of his stuff from the past. I mean, I, he wrote some of my favorite movies. I didn't even think about. Like, I love Maverick, nineteen ninety four. That's a lot of fun. Uh, Mad Mel, one of my favorite Mad Mel performances in that. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I would absolutely insist upon going back and um, you know revisiting his films, his novels particularly, and yeah. especially his memoirs because that is just the most like scathing, transparent look at the yeah. Hollywood system. I, I did my heart a lot of good when I was I was on um. My Apple TV the other day, and I went to the movies section, and I saw all the President's Men and Marathon Man were both trending. Yeah, and that you know, yeah, I, I thought, I thought, a cool, felt good. There was a cool, uh, a bit of trivia that I didn't really know before, which is the line in All the President's Men when Deep Throat says "Follow the money," mm-hmm. and that's become such like an an iconic phrase. Um, in terms of, you know, if you, you know, and just in terms of understanding the root of all corruption, you can always follow the money. And that kind of hinges, that's the whole basis of The Wire, you know, like in David Simon's sort of uh, entire approach to the way that we, uh, the way we look at what's really hurting societies and everything and it's the capitalist structures and everything but the wild thing is that deep throat never said that that was actually a william goldman line and Mm -hmm. so in a lot of ways it's like that that was something that he you know obviously he was taking a lot of the history and context of watergate distilling it into that line Mm -hmm. putting it in the movie and it's become the kind of line that has uh you know transcended sort of its meaning in that movie and now just sort of represents if you want to find the root of all corruption follow the money and that's interesting too because it's one of the hardest scripts that he ever wrote i mean one of the things that's great about goldman when you look back in a lot of history is that he really was just this like idiot savant and being able to just knock out screenplays like yeah. he would do he would knock out novels within like two weeks times week time and, and all the presence men was one that he said that he spent the most time trying to adapt and he never felt that he did it right mm-hmm. even though it's considered 
one of the greatest like portrayals of journalism. Uh, I, I still, it's one of my favorite films. Well, of the all genius time. Of decision that he made, and I'm sure referred a part of that because he also produced the movie, was they pretty much cut out the last third or last half of that book, All the President's Men. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think it's going to keep going. You think you're going to see the Nixon takedown, and it's all done in the last minute of just TVs changing as the yeah. time goes on, which is which genius. I love that last and shot. That, and I want to talk a little bit about, there's this great story I read about him, a little anecdote that Jonathan Demme, rest in peace, told yeah. about the Silence of the Lambs. And the Silence of the Lambs was all done and ready to just be put out into the world. And William Goldman saw it and said, love the movie, think it's great, you got to cut out this one part. And originally, after Hannibal breaks out, Jack Crawford, played by Scott Glenn, gets fired from the FBI. Clarice also gets kicked out of school. And she insists that she's going to go on and try to find Buffalo Bill anyway. And apparently there's like this great back and forth between Scott Glenn and Jodie Foster – like another, like a great, like Academy Award moment. Demi said Richard it was. Demi said it was like an integral. Yes, like there was no way. And even so, he went with his editor, and they were joking about, like, okay, well, let's take it out and see how it looks. And Goldman was right because that the action just goes right into that finish, and that's what you have to do there. Yeah. Otherwise, you're 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 slamming on the brakes to to prop up something. And you always have to let the story tell the story. And when it's interesting too, because uh, the Ringer just uh, launched a villains podcast. And they uh, talked about how the beginning of the movie starts with uh, Clarice and ends with Hannibal. And it's, you know, it's basically supposed to be like this little love story. And I think like the first words are Clarice. And then the second, the the last thing is like, you know, her calling out to like, where Hannibal, where are you? So it's like this kind of like interesting bookends uh, to it as well. I mean, it's, it kind of reminds me of like the Halloween ending. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if there. Goldman wrote the adaptation of Silence of the Lambs. I'm no, sure no, he, he didn't. just chimed no. in to Yeah, yeah. Say, I just say, hey, you know, spiritually, it's me. it makes it's sense. It's me, Bill Goldman. <laughs> it's me, Bill Goldman. I got some <laughs> ideas, uh, ideas for you. But yeah, Reiner and, um, and, and King were obviously, you know, really uh, hit hard about this. You know, Reiner said, you know, uh, losing Bill Goldman made me cry. My favorite book of all time is The Princess Bride. I was honored he allowed me to make it into a movie. I visited with him last Saturday. He was very weak, but his mind still had the Goldman edge. I told him I loved him. He smiled and said, fuck you, <laughs> which is great. And and then uh, King wrote uh, on Twitter on um, November 16th, so sorry to hear of the passing of William Goldman. He was both witty and talented. His screenplay of my book, Misery, was a beautiful thing. Rest in peace, Bill. And, you know, if you you know read it you can see that king was so devoted to to goldman's work and loved him and worshiped him and um enough to that there there's the really this kind of like um out of uh, rhythm moment in the in the book where um bill Dembra's agent is this like uh you know oh you could be like you know like oh, they're not everyone's like william goldman and mm-hmm. you know they they basically spend like four paragraphs talking about and this is before he adapted misery or any of that stuff so um a great legend lost. Uh, good. The good thing is, is I, I put my obit is uh, he's got a lot of scripts that are in the vault. And uh, since Hollywood loves to just kind of nothing truly dies in Hollywood, uh, maybe they'll finally adapt some of them, and we'll get some mm. more Goldman, you know, to come That's in the right. future. But, also, hey, a huge basketball fan. Uh, he won the Academy Award, but did not go to the Academy Awards because there was a big Nick playoff game on. Is that true? <laughs> yes. That, well, he's also in the book. Bo- he's in Bill Simmons' book. Um, oh yeah, they were also close, I believe, too. Yeah. So. But yeah, anyway, rest hey, in peace, love William Goldman. More William Goldman, less Akiva Goldsman. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I agree with oh, that. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, and this is uh, news to both Justin and I. Mike found some info on the future of Stephen King. Yeah, so he's got another book. Surprise, surprise, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the master of horror has another uh, book that's in the archives. The main author? Yeah, the main author. 
so recently on um, uh, King's message board, the official message board, someone asked, uh, you know, what's next now that Elevation is out? And uh, he, he wrote, uh, yes, my understanding is that it's planned for a release in the U.S. autumn 2019. I can't reveal the title or any other details at this time, though as no official announcement has been made. The book is already written and may have gone through the final edits. That part I don't have up-to-date information about. So, as usual, King is prolific and he is going to be back next year it never ends it never ends and i love that hey it's good for us i I don't know if if this would be a good transition into this but i might as well just try my best we'll get into the elevation discussion obviously but the the main takeaway i have from elevation this has nothing really to do with the quality good or bad is i really got the sensation i haven't had since i reviewed rem's collapse into now where i really felt like this is the last thing he's gonna write and i'm not saying like something's gonna happen to him i'm just saying i would not be surprised if he's gonna retire soon Mm-hmm. I really don't. Yeah. I, I mean, so much of him I read in this main character here and just the attitudes of elevation yeah. and, and going on for so long. And, and I don't know. I just felt like this was – I would not be surprised if he said, yeah, I've got something else coming out and I've got something else in the vaults coming out, but I'm actually – I'm not going to be writing it. I don't know, anymore. man. I just – I feel like it's it's like in his bones. Like I don't I don't think that he is somebody who would retire from writing. I, don't, I just feel like you know he's he's done collaborative novels and collaborative novellas. And he's, maybe moving into collaborative work. Yes, yeah. maybe so. But I'm saying I would not be surprised if we, if we really – after whatever's been done already, I, I just had this feeling reading. I got goosebumps halfway through just thinking, is this am – I, am I reading too much into this? Does well, this seem like the end or – Well, let, let us read into – this book. No, let's do it. Elevation? Oh, yeah. And friends, they drift apart unless you hold on. So hold on. Yeah, hold on. So, Elevation. It's a novella. It's a Castle Rock novella. And it tells the story of a man named Scott. Scott. Uh, Scott Carey. Scott Carey, uh, not my favorite King creation, but let's move on. I don't think I like this book as much as you guys. You guys sounded kind of kind of good with it. I never said that either way. Remember the other night, I said, save it for the pod. Save mm. it for the pod. We've all, mm. all been teasing our uh, This is exciting. On this is the first time I feel like we've all kept our opinions to ourselves mm-hmm. to keep it nice and fresh. <laughs> Eat fresh. <laughs> we just put it in the oven. We let simmer for a few weeks, and well, now it's coming out. I'll just break down the plot very simply. Uh, there's kind of a thinner quality going on mm-hmm. here. Scott suddenly realizes that... Uh, despite no change in his body that he's noticing, um, he's m- dropping weight at a massive rate based on the scale. He goes to the doctor. The doctor says he doesn't know what's going on. Um, Scott is concerned, but not that concerned. It's more of like a weird curiosity. Mm-hmm. And uh, he doesn't seem all that keen to bring in more doctors. There's something kind of melancholy about Scott, which I like, which is that, you know, he's got an ex-wife. He seems to work from home uh, and he's got a kitty. Is it a kitty? It's yeah, a kitty. It's a, ki- it's a kitty. He's got thing. a kitty. And, uh, he just seems kind of lonely and he uh but then he has these neighbors these two women um who are in a relationship together uh one is named Deidre is the other one Missy mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and uh they live together they own a restaurant called Holy Frijole which is which sounds great yeah mm-hmm. and uh like upscale Mexican I believe and um they are struggling yeah they're having some they're, problems they're the struggling town. but they also um they're just very resentful of the town of Castle Rock in general uh, due to a bit of bigotry, but then also just sort of a queasiness, a general queasiness with the town. And so when uh, Scott asked them politely to not have their dog shit on his lawn, and he does it very politely, yes. uh, they, they kind of give him a lot of attitude. And he's kind of like, what's your deal, ladies? And then um, the story kind of chronicles 
sort of the fusion of the weight loss plot with his sort of attempts to ingratiate himself with Deidre and Missy and uh, their reluctance. And, you know, it kind of becomes a story about friendship in the end uh, and community, but then also, uh, I don't know, about maybe... I don't know. It's it like, becomes I, very Capra esque. Yeah, there's and, something kind of magical about it, and that ended up being my favorite part of the whole thing. But yeah, so um, how I, do we want to go about this? Like, what 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 is your sort of immediate reactions after my reading it? Immediate reaction is a lot of this read like some of the most. Wait, should we say that? no spoilers? It's, we won't. No, spo- we're, no, we're no, we can get spoilers. Oh, we are. Yeah, okay, we, we will be spoiling this. <laughs> You know, if you haven't read it, come on. It's hundred. I read this in four sittings over a couple of days. Yeah, I read like in an hour and a half. Um, you know, it, it seemed there's a lot of performative uh, narr- uh, narrative going on here. Yeah. And what I say is, there's a lot of people on Twitter or any social media who are kind of just self congratulatory about how how woke they are when it comes to other communities. <laughs> performative woke. Performative wokeness. Yes. That's exactly the word, Randall. Yeah. And there seemed to be a lot of that, and I feel like it's like the road to hell is paved with good good intentions. And I believe that King believes in all of these ideals as well, as we all should, yeah. obviously. But there seems to be a bit of self-congratulatory progressivism. Oh, oh, it's it's so overt. There's nothing subtle about it, no. and, and and a lot of it kind of reminded me of this is the um, lesbian version of Driving Miss Daisy, where like <laughs> I feel like somebody who's like really conservative could read this book. And then kind of pat themselves on the back afterwards and say, yeah, you're right. You know, I'm not homophobic. Yeah. And I'm sh- obviously it's, that's not King's intention because I do agree. I, there is something magical mm-hmm. about the end of the book that I actually do like a lot. Yeah. The problem is, is getting to that end. Yeah. And it's, it's no, all... no pun intended. I mean, the book is very light mm-hmm. as this character becomes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was an easy read. Oh, totally. But yeah, the characterization, I, I feel like it would have been better served as a, like just a, a, fl- a flat short story in the back half of everything's eventual. Yeah, this is it, it's this is a feather light yes. uh, to keep drawing these allusions to the to the book. It's not it, this is to me is is the minorest of King. It, it's it's it carries less weight for me even than a lot of his short stories. Yeah. Uh, I find this story to be I agree with you totally. It, it felt more like a missive on progressivism mm-hmm. um, and less of a character piece. Uh, Scott to me is not a real person. He is um, there's there's moments that are sweet. And I think that he is uh, a nice he's a likable character, but he's very Hodges to me. He's my problem with Hodges is that uh, he doesn't feel real. He feels like a lot of um, one liners and uh, and folks folks folkisms uh, kind of wrapped up into this older character. I'm not loving the way that King as an older man writes older men. I don't Mm -hmm. know. It's like he kind of writes them as very innocent and very sweet. Uh, and very harmless, and I guess I miss the 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 teeth of of a lot of um King's like early characters. I mean it, it. I mean obviously not all of them. You look back at Ben Mears, like there's a toothless uh, protagonist um, who you know, and I, maybe that's the thing is because Ben felt so so much like Stephen King. We talked about that on the episode. It felt like he was writing himself as a character. Well, I kind of got the feeling that he was writing Scott Hodges as a King stand-in. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. the problem is I think Scott uh, Carey. Oh, sorry. Oh, uh, Bill but Hodges. Hill, Scott Hodges. He's related to Bill Hodges. Yeah, but the right? thing is Bill Hodges sometimes feels like a <laughs> yes. King stand-in. I think always. Well, I think he always does. Like when all his protagonists for the most part Not have always, a lot of it. Though. I think a, lo- a large part of it. I mean like Bill Dembro seems like him. Oh, definitely. You know? well, in the like, early years. I think, yeah. I think he kind of got away from that in the 90s and then that's, that's a compliment. I think. Well, he started of, writing more books with women in the leads. Yeah. Um, and I always, I love those characters. I, I just feel like 
I feel like there's um there's a lot of well-intentioned stuff in this book, but it's it, the story doesn't really justify. I it's very hard for me to to connect. This is why I was struggling earlier. It's very hard for me to sort of connect the two stories, the A and B story in this yeah. book, into mm-hmm. what are they ultimately building towards? Yeah. Like I think that it's there, but it to me it doesn't. It's not as elegant as a lot of Stephen King books, and it just lacks so much bite. Like this is such a toothless story. Mm-hmm. It's such like a story. Like I remember that book, he, that story he wrote about the um about the dog. Yeah. Uh, I I love that. Like that to me was like a really lovely. That was like I mean, if he's all about writing these sort of warm. Um, you know, uh, heartwarming kind of stories these days, which I'm fine with. I thought that was a great example because it had a very simple narrative and it, it had it 18 sort of pages. It, it was, it was shorter than 10 that. pages. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, and it had a very clear sort of character at the center of it, a very clear sort of story. And, um, and it didn't even have a supernatural component, but then it had that sort of like crazy scene with an alligator at the end. That was really neat. And it felt very King. Uh, this, it just like, it did feel a little King to me, but it felt, you know, it felt like, uh, uh, like King where he's just kind of, you know, having a chat with you over a beer and spinning a, a story. There didn't seem to be a lot of thought that went into the actual plot, the actual um, character dynamics. It was just sort of a story of good intentions. It's, just, it's very surface level. Yeah, it's and, very surface. And, and, I, and, I, and I wonder if it could be attributed to the fact that he's so obsessed with television now. Yeah. And that, I mean, if you look at some of the television that he always recommends, a lot of it is a wash and like sentimentality that seems to really go over well with America. Mm-hmm. And, and he's 72. So and he's, he's not going to have the same likes of a millennial or exactly and i think a lot of the 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 leaner tendencies of this novel and i do mean lean because while yes it is 144 pages it is very small and it's almost like reading like scary stories to tell in the dark or something like that it's, it's just so it's wild short. how they're marketing this as a novel but it's not. yeah and it's not and it's, i think that the having it be so bare bones it's it's a nice read and pleasant, yeah. But there just wasn't enough there to anchor me down, you know. Like yeah, no I, pun intended. Again with the gravity. No, I agree. And I keep I kept thinking about this other. If you want to compare it to something else that King has done, where he's incorporated the whimsy and the folksiness of of humanity or of mm-hmm. small town America, this is like Mrs. Todd's shortcut without the shortcut. Yes, yes. You know, because there's still some magic in that, but you need that shortcut, and you need even as magical as that is, you need things trying to bite you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no horror and there's no, here. There's no, there's no, like, and I don't even need—I don't necessarily need a horror. I just need something to. Some stake. I, I hate going back once again to like the abstract of gravity, but and lightness. But it's just—it's so light in its feet. But he it's doesn't. Not, it, he just doesn't care about the weight loss thing. No, like it's—it's—it. Yeah. He's worried about it a little bit, but it. it He's not even it's not something that gives him even anxiety or uh, it upsets him in any way, really. It's just kind of like like I mean, the most interesting part of the book to me was when it, it became to sort of the logistical ways in which he has to navigate once yes. he becomes so light. That was actually kind of neat and interesting. But it was so late. Yeah, it was so late in the book. And um, but that even then it didn't feel dangerous. No. And he was just so comfortable at the end to just be like, OK, send me off. Well, because that's the only the only time that you actually feel there's any sort of danger or sort of stake involved is when he's actually going to the mail. Yeah. Like the mailbox. Yeah. And that he has was to like stake himself out of there. And it just at that point, it almost feels like I feel like King, you know, King prioritizes the relationship with the neighbor over anything else in this in the book. And. And it's so odd because that seems so superfluous to the actual narrative that's at hand. I mean, like you title the book Elevation, you begin and end with these these revelations. But at the 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 real core of the book is about his relationship to his neighbor. So it's like 
and then, then there's then there's a lot of attention to that, but there's not enough. Like I don't, and and any conflict they have is so short lived that you don't really have to actually sink your teeth in it anyway. So it just everything just feels like an afterthought, and and there's just not. It's like it's like kind of um. Oh God! What was the movie um, where they title it and you can you literally use it as a review? But this does feel very weightless, and and like <laughs> that, and that's what the and that's kind of my 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 problem with it. It's like if I didn't love King so much, and you know want to enjoy a piece of his writing and just have a nice afternoon and read it, I wouldn't know what the point of this book would be. For me, I'll just like, say that it, it almost feels to me like it's born. I mean, I think King he's expressed this on Twitter and he actually got a lot of flack for it. And we don't need to get into the logistics of it, but basically King is somebody who believes that in these uh, political times that we all need to set aside our political differences and and all these differences and just, and just try to get along in spite of them and stop letting them divide us. And, you know, he received a lot of flack from extremists on both sides. And I don't want to say extremists in a negative way, more like just progressives on the left or then sort of, you know, alt-right, whatever. Um, People who are like, no, we can't just set aside this kind of stuff because then we start to normalize it. I think he was and, talking about on like just for one day. He yeah, but <laughs> at the same time, he he is saying he, you can tell that from his tweets is that he very much is like we need to stop letting politics and uh and you know whatever like cultural differences divide us and that's a great thought. I agree. The problem, it's I know, I nice. agree too. In it's theory, a, it's a it's but it's a very naive thought, yes. and I feel like this whole thing is uh this whole story to me is basically just about breaking down those barriers because it's not just about Scott trying to connect with, um, you know, the women next door who, you know, have been conditioned to be a little bit uh, hesitant to engage with people in Castle Rock because they find it to be a very bigoted community. And then with the doctor's wife, who is sort of outwardly bigoted, there's all those things until the very end when they all come together and they realize that they're all the same and they're all friends and and everything is because of his abilities to help her out with the race and have the photo, the whole town comes around also. Yeah. It's a weird white savior sort of thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of that too, like the white savior idea and it's all well intentioned. Like you can't really, I'm not like trying to knock it because it's not like he's he's doing anything that's wrong here. I mean, I believe that, yeah, it's like we can all, uh, you know, like like when it comes to that kind of bullshit discrimination, it should be something that, you know, we just cast aside. But at the same time, it is very naive and it's uh, and it's very surface level and it's not very compelling. You know what I mean? It's like it's, it's like the the idea and the theme exists um or it's more like the story serves to uh, uh, serve the themes rather than the themes serving the story. You know what yeah. I mean? It's all being dictated by the idea of creating this sort of utopian, happy idea of what relationships can look like in a small town, uh, even when you're that different. When But he doesn't really have a good story to go with it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's just not a lot to talk about at no. the end of the day, as, even though we've probably talked about this for at least 10 minutes. But the thing is, you know, we fawn over his great books, The Pet Cemeteries and Dead Zones, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we just go into and bash, you know, like road work, for example. <laughs> but there really is just nothing to really... I can't imagine in the future like doing two hours on elevation. Oh, no, no. I mean, there's just, there's just not a lot there. There's just not a lot there. It is what... You read it straight through. There's not a lot of subtext at all, which also hurts it. It's yeah. all pretty much flat out what's going on. Yeah, so, I, I think this would work much better as a short story. Agreed. Because Agreed you can you that. can have surface characters in a short story. Mm-hmm. I do believe that. Yeah, and, and 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 honestly, if he was going to make this work, in my opinion, as like a novel or a novella, then I would have probably had liked a little bit more of Scott and maybe figure out like 
kind of what makes him tick like why is he this like give him some you know teeth, nice you know he's guy. just another like, nice guy exactly which is how hodges there. feels yeah. that's my biggest problem with the hodges books is that hodges is just such a nice guy and i'm like give me more with like him, give man. me a scene where he actually acts like an asshole yeah in front of the two women and that's what i'll say that's why yeah, the that series the series works better in the books uh in that regard um because brennan gleason actually gives the character some more dimension mm-hmm. but that's just my and then i almost i i struggle with that in revival even a little bit about you know the character and that when he gets older it's like there's just i need a little bit more um there's just almost this uh this like per, this um annoying niceness this uh, well, and everything kind of seems like preface like you know he doesn't want to make any sort of judgment on character because i do feel like just you know to justin's point that it is like being on twitter it's like you don't want to like you gotta pull your punches if you're gonna portray any of the the, the characters in a negative light because yeah. you know well I'm you know a white guy writing this so should I you know I have to be very touchy and feely about like how I'm gonna portray some of the characters and you know there's always this kind of asterisk around any of the sort of negative portrayals of like even like um uh you know Didi's character and it's just like no just just tell the story and, yeah. and stop like trying to like you know skirt around the idea that that it just i don't know it just seems like he's always having like he's always writing with caution and when he's around these well, that's how it feels movies. with holly too in the um outsider oh, man. it's like the I, I i still haven't read it but i've heard yeah the, the outsiders it's it's good it's it's the best of his recent output i mean in terms of i mean, when i say that i just mean like the last like three things he's released but um it's it, it's good. It's just like, but that's the same thing as Holly's not really a character so much as a bundle of um, quirks, you know, and it, it gets a little bit annoying. Uh, and, you know, you just I miss I, I, I rereading it. I'm just like these characters are also multifaceted and they're so multidimensional and there's so much to like each of these people that is both ugly and beautiful. And that to me is is I just missed that. And I'm not saying he can't do that in his later work because obviously he has. There's a lot of great Latter-day King books. You know, I just I, I feel like he's in a place right now where maybe the world is so ugly he doesn't want to contribute to you know uh to writing ugly stories but and that's fine yeah. and, and, and honestly i would be okay because here's the thing i still enjoyed reading this like mm-hmm. I, I wasn't there wasn't a point I where i was just it. like it was, yeah, it, was exactly. it was not a slog by any means no god no and like the writing is very you know tight and the the, the prose is very gorgeous in parts especially when he's talking about the seasons which you know as you, if you listen to this podcast that's what i really love reading about uh and you know, it, there, this is a very nice Thanksgiving novel if you really want to think of something to, to read when you're, like, hanging out with your family and all. But at the same time, like, if you're going to make an ensemble story, which this very much feels like, especially as it gets towards the last, like, 25% of this book, you need the depth. And, you know, what's what I kind of like in this is, with, you know, like last year's Gwendy's Button Box. That, to me, was kind of oh, like I a love perfect in-and-out yeah. book because you're really only focusing on one major character the entire time. Mm-hmm. And so it warrants that length and it warrants that sort of in-and-out approach because you're only in this one person's head. But you're with Scott here and it's not, and it's less about Scott as you learn and more about the actual town, like, you know, Dr. Bob and, you know, like the way that he kind of yeah. c- comes out and to help Scott. And then also, you know, Dee Dee and Missy and... And I just don't really ever get much from them other than just like who they're supposed to be. Like, oh, Dr. Bob's a doctor. Oh, Missy and Dee Dee are a lesbian couple. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. I, you know, like you kind of get some sort of thing with like her with, you know, with with Dee Dee and her be having this past with running. And then they kind of at the end try to weld in this thing about she has a club foot. the club foot. What? Missy has a club foot. And you're like, OK. Uh, so it felt very like he wanted to stick to this like slim sort of approach which maybe it was supposed to be a kind of like a tongue-in-cheek th- thematic parallel to the actual mm-hmm. what's happening to scott but 
God, if this had just maybe like 50 more pages even of just like some sort of like character design, I might have something there. And also just to give us a little bit more of like Scott's, like give him some paranoia for Christ's sake or yeah. something. Yeah. Like there's, paranoia there's would be nothing. Good. It's and too like, easy. It's well, just why easy. have so much, why put paranoia in there when there's so much pound cake? <laughs> yeah. Oh, they have, a, they, they literally have pound cake in us. Well, I don't know if you know this, but the Deirdre has legs. Good yeah. Lord. I know. He, the oogling in this book yeah. is endless. And it's also, but it's also this like very, you know, it, it's so funny because I, I, I watch um, when you can tell that they're without tossing around names, but like people that like have very social justice tendencies. Sure. When they have to try to portray or just discuss the, the beauty of things. No one can. No one ever just like goes out and says like, "Oh, they're you know like they don't want to sexualize things, but they'll still say things that kind of tie back to that somehow." And it's this kind of backward way of doing it. And he definitely does that in this book. It's like, well, she's a great athletic runner with a great athletic body. Instead of saying like, you know, traditionally, which is like a great, you know, great, great buttocks with like she's very fit. Yeah, very fit. Like something like that. It's just very yeah. There's there's such an attention to detail there where, you know, he wants to talk about the beauty without you know but just dances around it he and lingers on it yeah and it starts to feel weird yeah. it's like it's genuinely like oogling i i rolled my eyes so hard at so many sections in this book just because of that i was like i was like there's more pound cake like in this than there are in like some like 400 page books that we've read of oh yeah <laughs> he crams in the the dessert but i do want to point out once again we we've teased it a little bit um I really did like the very end. Yeah, the end. Is, the end's really lovely. I think it's very. It's real well written too. Yes. I don't, it know how much, feel, I don't know how much we can say about. It. I mean, well, it's he's like, become so weightless. He's floating up. Yeah. But he's got the fireworks, and that. I also love how that ties into the the cover. Not, yeah. not very often we get that. And I think that it's it's. Uh, I almost feel like though it's such a lovely image. It probably was what he started with. He's mm-hmm. he probably liked the idea of this guy floating off into the sky at the end, and it's it is nice. It's a it's a nice interesting image. But I'm that's the thing is sometimes maybe he was just working towards an image and an idea, and never really had the story to earn it. You know what I mean? So agreed. I don't know. Any other thoughts, Mike? Uh, I know we'll, we'll probably save this for the future, but a couple of things. I don't know why this had to be in Castle Rock. One. Same. Well, there, well, I think there's it's, a couple illusions, I guess, but there's some names that seem very familiar to me. Yeah, Rodemach, well, I mean, Rodemach they, they, they mentioned the suicide stairs, which I believe is from oh, that's Gwendy's from, uh, button box. Gwendy's, yeah, and they talk about how that was taken down. Bannerman uh, Road. Bannerman Road is mentioned. So we multiple know it takes times. place after um, all that because they talk about how, like, when they're running, and he even mentions how that was like Bannerman was their longest running sheriff, and how something bad happened to him at the end of one of the roads. They yeah. mentioned the. Um, the Methodist Church and the Catholic Church, which mm-hmm. figures heavily into needful things. They they mentioned, oh she wears the number nineteen. Yes, yeah, nineteen yeah. was yeah. And of course, there's a band name, Pennywise and Dancing Clowns. Yes. Oh yes, I t- I think I sent you guys a screenshot of that because yeah. I was like, what, what are you doing? Yeah, um, Pennywise. But honestly, and not. I, I was expecting to maybe see some some people stuck around town. Am I for, did I miss some major names or something? Is it possible? Uh, Rodemacher sound really familiar. Maybe it's a relative of somebody from an old Castle Rock book. No, because remember, this is modern times. So a lot of the Castle Rock folks that would be around back in the yeah. 70s and 80s are gone. That's at true. This point. And they had like Trevor Yount. I don't know who. Didn't recognize it. Didn't recognize that I've re- Again, though, I have not read Needful Things in close to 20 years. So Damn. it's very possible Damn. these characters are in that book. Yeah, because the, the old garage band used to be Big Top. And then they named it to Pennywise and the Clowns, which is kind of cool. Which makes me wonder. like, <laughs> Kind of cool. So this story, cool. <laughs> you know, this story exists in the same, um, you know. This this exists in the same universe, <laughs> it's like 
Cujo. Oh, they mentioned Cujo in it too. Yeah, Cooch. which is you know, which is great. But um, Love yeah, I mean, the cover's cute. Um, <laughs> okay, okay, I think we're done. <laughs> that's the pull quote from Consequence of Sound. Yeah, the cover's, cover's cute. cute. Well, it just reminds me of like crazy people with Dudley Moore when he's trying to like find something to say about Quaker Oats, and he's just like, you know, the the, the food's not great, but the box is cute. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So well, this was, is the first time in thirty three years that somebody's talked about crazy people with Love with crazy Dudley people. Moore. Congratulations. Uh, so yeah, definitely not not a book we. I don't know. This may have sounded like we hated it or something. We no, we didn't I enjoyed it. it. I just, it's fine. You'll knock it out in an afternoon if you want. It's it's just it's he's written shorter things that have like more weight to it. Exactly. Know? Like whereas like I, I bring up Gwendy's again because like after finishing that I was like oof good. I love Gwendy's. Whereas where I finished this and I was like oh. Yeah, whatever. And Next. it gets it's it's honestly I feel like the sentimentality really kills it. I mean, there's like literally a point where I I like even pointed out and. Well, there's like literally a section where I like pointed out in here where like they all become like friends again. And it's on like page 110. And and it's like she shook her head smiling. I don't think so. Brace yourself, big boy. I'm coming in for a hug. And it's just yeah. so like, and I know that like, again, I think it's just part of the times where people really want that sort of warm, cozy, like. We're family, sort of experience, and, and if you really oh, want lethal that, weapon four, the end yeah. of lethal, lethal weapon four. Which, uh, if you want to see a feature film version of that, go see um, Sean Anders' Instant Family, which is currently in theaters right now. Oh, um, that's the most insufferable <laughs> experience I've had ever. Um, anyway, I yeah, for me, I'd I'd still recommend just reading it. It's it's a if you're in the airport and you're looking for something to just kind of knock out for like a three-hour flight, boom, here you go. Go for it. And you'll you'll probably feel good, if you, especially if you're coming home to your family. Maybe you'll... you'll Makes a man feel oh, good. Like really going there. What are you doing? It's getting deep all of a sudden. <laughs> because I feel bad because I don't want to like trash this because it, it, it is a nice story. It's but so well My biggest thing going into this is exactly what... Like having finished this is exactly what Justin said. It's just, it just felt very like... Almost like neckbeardy. Like, you know. Yeah, it just and, is a little bit. But, you know, you should also... Granted, the message is the message is fine. Oh yeah, obviously, be good to everybody, even if they're not like you. Hundred percent. But you know, give was, me some weight here, buddy. And I then will. there was, and then there was a, a there's lines like this where it's no. just like, what are you doing? Where um, so he's talking to some woman, and she goes, she says something about like playing Sir Galahad, and she goes, for one thing, you're a little too old for the part. Her eyes flick down his his shirt front. For another, you're a little too overweight. Given Scott's current condition, this jab entirely missed the mark. But he felt a certain sour amusement at her employment of it. She would have been infuriated to hear a man say some woman was a little too old and a little too overweight to play the part of Guinevere. This is what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. Doing? And well, and it's also like <laughs> I, I don't know how many times he found ways to talk about gut, like front porch, or uh, at one point he think he refer- refers to it or whatever. But there's just so much discussion about how like portly and heavy he is that. I don't know. I just thought like after, especially since it wasn't long ago when we read Thinner in which he really has to talk about the changes of the body. I just felt like a lot of it was kind of lazy here. It's like we already know he's not going to lose weight and we already know what his body looks like. And then Stop bringing this weird, creepy line. God had given her a beautiful body for running and Scott wished to God she was enjoying it more. Yeah, <laughs> so, what does that mean? I don't know. Anyway. Sorry. <laughs> do we, we want to do... Uh, what else can we say? I, I do love that they actually, just like uh, in um, 112263, which I don't know if they actually have literal pound cake, but in this one they do. On page 108, for dessert, it's only store-bought pound cake, he said. How did I miss that? But the chocolate whipped cream I made myself. So maybe we do have a, a literal pound cake in here. Maybe he listens to the pod. He might. Oh, God, that'd be awesome. 
We loved it, Stephen. Thank I you. I mean, <laughs> we loved Elevation. I will say how, how like how crazy would it, that he just involves Pound Cake again in this? That's that's hey. so random. Kismet. You know, Kismet. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> that was the play. What, what, do we want to do any preemptive nosers for this, or are we saving that for uh, the uh, Elevation episode in twenty twenty two? Oh, you know, it's honestly it's like a two and a half, two and a half bright red pretty much. Yeah, I agree. I can't, I can't officially recommend it anyway, but it's just right down the middle. It's right down the middle. Yeah, yeah. It's a quick read if you want to read it. That's my, that's my, (laughs) my faintest praise. Well, I, I I consider it um, one of his best. (laughs) Yeah. Five noser. Well, I always when I it's funny because like I I love reading around Thanksgiving. And Pet Cemetery is one of my favorite um, books to read around Thanksgiving just because it really takes place weird. around Thanksgiving. And a lot of it hinges on the fact that you, you know, the family's not there. Uh, whereas this one kind of brings that sort of family together. And so I, I do recommend it if you're trying to look for something fun to read during, when you're around, you know, the family or whatever. So it's, you're saying you recommend it for one specific, out of 365 days of the year. Absolutely. The other time for Yeah, you. that Thursday morning when you wake up and, you know, mom and turkey. dad... Or if they're still talking to each other, uh, not in my family, but yeah, if uh, yeah. they're still there, like you can like just wait for the dinner to be made, <laughs> my and you get 144, 144 pages of uh, of just nice, 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 nice. Feels like a uh, what's his name over here? Uh, it's nice. It's nice. Uh, so I think it's time for us to express, you know, with the Thanksgiving holiday coming up, or is it coming up? Oh, it's coming up. Wait, but we're recording this on Sunday, and it's so it's gonna run Friday. So this will drop. So hey, I hope you all have a happy Thanksgiving. I hope you all Thanksgiving. What are you all thankful for this year? Uh, This year, I am thankful that I got to reread it this year. Honestly, I uh, that was. uh, Wait, does this have to be King related? I think I think we could. I think we do (laughs) both. It's Kingsgiving. It's Kingsgiving. Kingsgiving. Uh, It's the second annual Kingsgiving. Then I'll say that uh, in terms of Kingian uh, thanks, uh, I'm I'm thankful that I reread it this year, which. You know, honestly, after I reread the stand and kind of um, realized that it didn't it didn't woo me the way it used to. I still love the stand, but um, whereas rereading it, you know, I still obviously it's it's a bit too long, but I think he justifies the length more than um, any of his other ones. And and I was so extremely moved. I wasn't on the final episode talking about it but i was so extremely moved by the ending of it and i forgot how much i was moved by the ending Mm -hmm. of it and uh and i just think it's such a beautifully written book that is also so terrifying and so freaky and man there's like still bits from it and this doesn't really happen a lot with me but there's still like sections from it that kind of pop into my mind every now and then that uh, freak me out a little bit so i think in terms of i'm thankful for that but i think also i'm thankful for uh the ways i think that King's sort of renewed popularity is is having some good uh, ripples throughout pop culture these days. I mean, Hill House is one good example. And, um, and, you know, I just think that we're seeing a lot of horror that is, well, I just think that people are taking King a lot more seriously now. And I'm loving all these new projects that are popping up. And I think that people are, are at a point now where they're really uh, understanding what it was that made King special uh, and that he wasn't just, you know, a cha-ching factory that they're, you know, that people seem to understand that if you want to do King right, you can't just um, you know, put a killer car in a movie. I'm not, I'm, this isn't me trashing Christine. I like Christine, but I'm just saying that it's like, you can't just put like the thing that's scary and then make up everything else. Cause it's like the family guy joke. Yeah. It's yeah. so much more than that. And I feel like people are, are getting that now. Mm-hmm. So it's cool. Any, any other food? Wait, when we talk about food? Sure. Why not? Yeah. What do you, what's your favorite Thanksgiving treat? Oh, stuffing. Oh, uh, me too. You know, it's funny. 
I, I, for the longest time, I did not like stuffing at all. Mm. But my God, I could sit there and just have stuffing all day. Yeah, well, I could stuff is, my stuff with stuffing. I'm a Stouffer's guy too. It's like yeah. I've had, you know, my my wife and I are making Cornish game hens. Um, uh, this this for Thanksgiving this year because we're we're staying in the city, and we're gonna stuff them with stuffing. But the thing is, we're we're gonna make our own stuffing, and I'm worried that. It won't be as good as Stouffer stuffing because I'm I'm it's like you know peanut butter I don't like like it's cauldron hel- stuffing like I I'm somebody who enjoys a lot of like organ you know like uh, give me the the better the non processed version of the food and I'll probably like it more but with, it's like with peanut butter I only like Jif me too only mm. Jif crunchy is what I love I love crunchy mm. and smooth mm-hmm. and um but so it's almost like I worry because I've had homemade stuffing before and I didn't like it nearly as much as Stouffer's so I'm uh, I'm hoping that we can crank out some Stouffer's esque stuffing this year. You know, I was going to say for what I was happy for this year was, I'm not kidding, the, the adaptations of 1922 and Gerald's Game. That was actually last year. That was last year. <laughs> so this year, fuck everybody. I mean, I have no idea. <laughs> no, I actually really enjoyed our month's coverage of, of Castle Rock. That was a lot of fun yeah. going. That was the first time we've really done that week by week because, you know, had the Mist TV series been any good, I think we probably would have done the same mm-hmm. thing. Thank God. <laughs> we didn't, <laughs> yeah. We didn't, God we didn't have some contractual agreement to do the Mist. I really enjoyed that. It was the summer at Castle Rock, essentially. And then to go right into it, which I hadn't read in a while. And I agree, Randall. It really did hold up just as well as I remember it holding up. Yeah. I, I do love that ending a lot. Um, I keep thinking about next year, but I do want to save that for our, our year-end episode because mm-hmm. we do have a lot of good books next year and a lot that I have not read, yeah. which mm-hmm. I'm really excited to finally dive into. That's a true uh, King Miss present. Um, I'm happy to see that we started this oh God, King Miss. Hey, we're keeping it Kingsgiving here. I'm happy to see that we started this in January of 2017, and King is just as popular, if not more popular, than he was then. Mm-hmm. He's more popular. Oh, he's definitely. I, I should yeah. say he's even more popular now than he was at the beginning of this year. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just think it just keeps growing and growing, and we're going to keep getting adaptations. and And like I said, I don't want I don't want to sound like a doomsayer when I was saying that I got the vibe that this could be one of King's last stories he puts out there. I still have that sensation for some reason. I really do. I feel like I'm being elevated. <laughs> Uh, I'm, going, I'm going beyond my own thoughts just for a second here. I feel compelled. But uh, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, uh, it's, it's, it was a very strange year personally, but I think the last quarter has been, I've been pretty happy the last quarter, I'll say. Yeah, it's Without getting too personal. Anyway. Well, it's, de- it's definitely been a year um, <laughs> to put the, to that terms because a year ago at this time, uh, pretty much everything in my life changed and splintered it out of control. But um, the one thing I said last year that I loved was this podcast, and I stressed that f- so much. And I and I and it, it's it's meant so much to me in so many ways that I've only really been able to reconcile over the last uh, few months, uh, just because it has felt as if I've been in this kind of tunnel vision for for god since that january 2017 it's just been nonstop, especially when we decided to go weekly but when you actually step aside and think of all the stuff that's happened because of it it's it's un it's unreal it's it's changed my life in a way that i never thought it would change you know for the longest time i thought it would just be doing strictly editorial and and i got really disillusioned with editorial i i, I I just got bored with writing and I couldn't stand the culture that we lived in. And I just, it just got really exhausting. And the one thing that's, this is really done for that is this change the medium for me to go from just strictly writing to, you know, do audio. And as someone who grew up with a stutter, I never in a million years would have considered myself to ever actually do a weekly audio podcast. And 
to see how multiple far ones. Oh, multiple ones and to see how far this has gone and creating the podcast network uh with you know my best friend growing up cat uh, blackard has just been such a life raft for everything else that's been so chaotic in my life and it has brought me so much joy at a time where i have literally been bereft of that for so much of it and i can't stress that enough and this year alone has seen highlights that i never thought would ever happen from just a podcast talking about stephen king i mean i can't stress it enough that we've spiraled into or we've changed how like other like people are living like we have like leor phillips who this amazing you know amazing voice in in music criticism who is now has her own weekly podcast with this must be the gig like and that's on the consequence podcast network a network that wouldn't have existed if you know we didn't have this like losers club to kind of like anchor that and actually show that like consequence of sound could do podcasts and like that was so that's so awesome and and then also to just even just having like the film festival like this like this last july and like working in all our time loving and worshiping this place the music box culminating in a thing that we curated and that we brought to life and and seeing people that came up to us and shown how like that was like a how how much like this you know how much king has changed their lives also and yeah i'm thankful for that too like that was just such a cool the back experience. and forth has been really fun Me, i didn't like you know i hate to butt in but like when we started this it's kind of i always think about how we all started this in max studio apartment yeah. around <laughs> around a single microphone and i don't know i don't think any of us were we all loved king we wanted to try mm-hmm. but i don't think any of us could have expected the response we got pretty much right out the gate and the the, the, the amount of followers that we had back even a year and a half ago to what we have now is just still it's, it just keeps insane. growing and it's just it's a it's an absolutely it's a pleasant surprise because it's so well, yeah. hard there's so many podcasts out there and it's just it's surreal sometimes well that was the thing was that the pod meeting people who had who had come from other states to come to the to the, the you know the music box and to come see us that was some of the conversations i had at, oh, yeah. um, at the film fest were were amazing and it was just so cool to meet people and actually hear that um, you know, cause I, I get it because when I was a kid, no, none of my friends really liked King. So, and that's what's so yeah, interesting like to, to have somebody to be able to talk about it like this. That's my favorite comments that we get are the people who are like, I have nobody to talk about King about. So yeah. I love to listen to this pod that to, I feel like that's sort of, you know, maybe not something I articulated when we started the pod, but I think something that secretly, that was like what, and one of the things that made me become really good friends with all you guys was like, we one of the first things we bonded over was like King. Yeah. So it's, it's cool to do that. And I mean, so, and it's created yeah. a really interesting outlet like i mean even if i have like the really shitty day which is a lot and then like i i always go back to our socials and just see countless listeners that like you know or fans of king that just can talk about anything and i Mm -hmm. love that and i I, i've not had that in the 12 years that i've been working with consequence of sound with our readers because it's such a contentious sort of thing when you involve criticism and this isn't so much criticism but just like almost celebration in a way which is why which is why it's such a different, you know, it's such a line of demarcation there. And and I don't know, it's just, it's just meant a lot. And it's also, it's, it's connected me with my current girlfriend who I'm absolutely in love with. And I can't even, I can't even stress that. So, I mean, just the reach of this podcast is just, it's overwhelming. It's a lot of work and none of us are paid to doing it. And, 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 but it's just, it, there's so much love in it. And I, and for me, that's what I'm always, I feel like next year when we do the, the, the third annual Kingsgiving, I'm probably gonna be saying the same thing. And, and for me, it's just, it's, it's so weird to think that this book or the books that I grew up with and this author that I loved, like has literally become a lifestyle. Like for me, that's, that's totally 
open the door. Um, similar to the Dark Tower. Well, it's um, weird because no. I, I, you know, I know we're going down memory road here. We're all trying to get out of here. But um, <laughs> I, 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 the same thing here, though. I would not have met the person I'm seeing if it wasn't for the podcast network. It's just crazy. Like, it's, it's, if it's anything, it's, it's driven a wedge between my wife and I. So <laughs> <laughs> Why are you always away every single week, every weekend, uh, every other weekend? But, totally kidding. Um, no, I, uh, I will say that um, I know what I'm going to be thankful for in next uh, Thanksgiving or, or Kingsgiving is uh, the Tommyknockers. Oh. I've read it by then and I cannot Ooh, yeah. wait to reread it. Oh my yeah. God. Uh, Third time's a charm. I can't, I, I can't wait. Season three is going to be good. Uh, do some cocaine while you're reading it. <laughs> yeah. Any final thoughts on uh, Kingsgiving, Stephen King, uh, the world as it stands? Uh, I'll say this. Uh, I'm not going to be on the episode, but. Hopefully you're reading the, the drawing of the three. That's the next big book yeah, we're covering. Drawing of the the last up. book of 2018. Yeah, yeah it's going to be wild. So we're looking forward to that. And uh, stay tuned. More episodes coming every week. Please subscribe to other Consequences Sound podcasts like Mike. Halloweenies. Yes. We're going to be going into uh, Rob Zombie Halloween 1 and 2. And I'm doing a special little holiday episode of uh, Black Christmas since it's spiritually oh, nice. connected to I didn't know you guys were doing the series in ways. I yeah, just, just <laughs> figured it'd be a, little, a fun little treat that a lot of the fans have been kind of requesting here I and love there. And that movie. Great movie. I just want to talk about that movie too. And so I'm well, excited what, what about other, that. What other podcasts? And we also got This Must Be the Gig, as I mentioned, with Lior Phillips, who just got back from Iceland Airways and has so many interviews to share. We have the Opus, which you had mentioned before. Yeah, Paula Mejia's new podcast. That's a collaboration with Sony. And they're filmography. Talk, we have filmography. Dominic Suzanne Mayer is going to have a special mini episode uh, talking about the films of Lynn Ramsey ah. before we decide to go into the next director. And I will tell you this: I just watched. You were never really here. I'm excited to watch that. Very it's awesome. Good. Very it's good. Supposed to be great. It's really fun too. Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm saving it for uh, for a really happy, uh, cozy. Make uh, sure you know watch. But the next season of discography is going to uh, blow your heads off, especially if you're a fan of The Who, because that's who uh, Mark Sidorius is going to be discussing, and it is the most expansive breakdown of The Who that has ever been uh, discussed Boom. in the history of the band. I'm not, I'm not oh. joking. That is not hyperbole. We have heard, uh, we've, we've had the season, but we locked it away because we wanted to save it for to kick off 2019. And uh, let's just say... Daltrey's scream is uh, is going to reach the heights that that scream reaches is uh, where this podcast <laughs> is going to reach. Uh, and we also have State of the Empire. It's a little slow time right now for uh, Star Wars fans, but that doesn't uh, doesn't mean there's we're always not Star to Wars. There's always content content to talk about. We literally have two theme parks that are opening up next year, and let's just say State of the Empire has been right the entire time predicting what that uh, is going to entail. So stay tuned for that. And uh, very cool. Well, have, that's yeah. That's so it, you know. please. Uh, like us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Follow us on all those platforms. We'll deliver some fresh content. Mike's got one more thing. I gotta give him. I gotta give props to my man, Kyle Meredith. Yes, three times a week. This guy mm-hmm. is just really delivering some of the some of the best interviews that are out there with uh, with the musicians and the stories he's getting. Today. They're great. They're great stories. Yeah. So please subscribe to Kyle Meredith. So much content. So much content. It never ends. You know what? I'm thankful for that, too. Me, too. And I'm thankful for all of you listeners. Thank you so much for putting up with our bullshit day in, day out. And uh, until next week. Long long days days and pleasant pleasant nights.
Consequence Podcast Network.